This is Derek from Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. I'm here just to introduce this collection of Doctor Strange reviews. The first five issues of Doctor Strange by Mark Wade, Javier Pina and Jesus Sayas have been collected together in Doctor Strange Volume 1 Across the Universe. Uh, these issues were known as Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy and we did a review of each issue as we went uh, a couple of months ago. But now that it's all been collected together, I thought I'd collect all the podcasts together for you in one nice, easy to listen to, two hour odd review. <laughs> hopefully find this of use instead of trawling through our uh, our full back catalogue of comic book reviews and TV reviews, trying to find the Doctor Strange reviews. They're all here in one neat little place. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast at Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast or the full podcast with all of our TV reviews at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast, our spoiler-filled discussion of Doctor Strange, issue number one, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, part one. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 171, where we are introducing and welcoming you to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast, where we are looking at a spoiler-filled discussion of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, part one, by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayers. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek, for this episode of Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. Yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful as a title for our episode with uh, with Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy Part 1. It is a long, long title. But I with, really wish they could snip it down a bit, to be honest. I, I know, but with 391 issues so far of, uh, of Doctor Strange, going back all the way to his 70s appearances, um, probably have to differentiate them somehow so you can bind them all together in a comic book for people to buy when they uh, when all six or eight issues of these books come out well that's it because we have issue one if there's part one there is subsection three <laughs> i mean yeah it's it's a little bit of a mouthful but we are really really keen to get into this issue of doctor strange in space um, because this is our first official episode of Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and where we will be covering comic books. This comes from our uh, history of doing Damnation, uh, which was another Doctor Strange run, and its tie-in issues uh, earlier on in the year. And it was the first time we had really done comic book reviews on Defenders TV podcast, even though we are podcasting about the Marvel Netflix shows, all based on Marvel comic characters. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, for Strange Tales, we will be focusing on Doctor Strange, and in particular, Mark Waid's run here, which was released and published back on the 5th of June of this year. Uh, But of course, we'll also be looking at uh, characters that come from the Defenders, including Doctor Strange. He used to be a Defender of Earth. And of course, there will be some other additional characters that we'll look at as well, because my co-host here, Derek, is a massive fan of Nick Fury Mm -hmm. and his incarnation as a Howling Commando as well. Maybe. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll we'll talk about the Helen Commandos. But definitely the reason we're going to be covering Nick Fury at some point over this time is that Doctor Strange and Nick Fury did share Strange Tales, their big comic book back in the 60s and 70s with yes. some fantastic stories from both of those characters. It's where I got to know Doctor Strange and I think it's where you got to know a bit of Nick Fury Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And our final uh, Marvel character that we will dip our toes into, so to speak, uh, will be based around the absolute love and fandom that our other co-host, Chris, who um, also podcasts with us on Defenders TV Podcast, has. And that is Spider-Man. And Mm -hmm. again, because we have that lovely link that he, along with Doctor Strange, was created by Steve Ditko. So there is some connection uh, between Doctor Strange and the other characters or groupings that we will cover on Strange Tales. It's not all random here, folks. No, we've really thought about this, (laughs) obviously. So you can subscribe to Defenders TV Podcast and Strange Tales over on your podcast catcher of choice. Please just head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and go to our subscribe section where you can choose Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. Subscribe, rate us, leave a review all about Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. So what we intend to do is to release the first three issues over the next month in our lead-up, obviously, to Iron Fist as much as we can. And then what we will do is continue with Mark Wade's run from the September issue once a month. And in between our Marvel Netflix shows, then we will look to do and release two episodes of Strange Tales uh, between Marvel Netflix shows. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So really looking forward to discussing some more Doctor Strange. Really enjoyed doing Damnation. And after that, we know we really wanted to follow up the storyline that we had in there. But let's get into it, John. Yeah, absolutely. Derek, what are some of the details for this issue? Well, this is the first issue in a new series. Mark Wade just took over from previous writer Danny Cates, uh, who wrote the Damnation series and was a great addition to the wonderful writers that have been on uh, Doctor Strange so far. So hopefully Mark is going to make his big impact on this book. He has worked on Doctor Strange before. He did an excellent run called The Doctor Is Out, John. I think you're, you're aware of that one. Yes, I certainly am. And we will briefly talk about that um, as we get into the podcast as well. Excellent, excellent. And the artwork in this book, including the cover art, is done by Jesus Says, as John mentioned earlier on. Um, Jesus is bringing a really good touch to this book. Uh, one of the exciting things always about Doctor Strange is that because he's got magic powers and because he travels to different realms artists get to do a lot of different stuff on doctor strange books rather than just drawing standard buildings and fights in the street we get a lot of magic and stuff going on so uh, really excited to see what jesus brings to this book as well john do you want to give us the synopsis for this issue of doctor strange sorcerer supreme of the galaxy sure the eye of agamotto is closed Dr. Stephen Strain has lost his connection to the Earth's arcane power, and he can't wait to recover while nightmares press against the seams of our reality. Tony Stark offers a 21st century solution. When astral travel fails, try astronautical travel. Enter Dr. Strange, Space Explorer Supreme. (laughs) New spells, allies, and enemies, new and old, await Strange beyond the stars, along with corners and secrets of the universe. Space is endless, but time is short. After years of threats, Stephen's bill for magic use is coming due. Who will come to collect? 
Excellent. Yes. Good synopsis there over on Comixology for this issue. Really cool to see it uh, laid out that way. But we will be getting in-depth with all the points that we want to discuss about this episode. Uh, Usually what we do on our podcasts about all of our shows that we cover and about the comic books that we cover is we pick out a couple of points that we want to talk about that kind of cover the whole issue uh, in part. With the comic books, because we're coming into a brand new series with Mark Wade, uh, we're going to be doing incantations for Doctor Strange. We certainly are. Uh, incantations 1 to 5 or 1 to 4. But first up, the way we kind of do our comic book ones is, just in case you missed the previous series, we have our incantation number one, previously on Doctor Strange. For the eagle-eyed amongst you, you will have noticed on the front cover of this issue, the legacy number for this is Doctor Strange number 391, and our last issue that we covered was Doctor Strange 389. So we have skipped one issue of the coverage, which was Danny Kate's final issue, known as A Strange Way to Go, the finale of his Doctor Strange arc. And it was pretty strange. It was great fun. It was really strange. Uh, It involved Spider-Man. It involved Bats the Dog uh, and Zelma, Mm -hmm. as well as just a little bit of crazy trippiness between uh, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. I believe Spider-Man was talking with other spiders. Yes, he used the magic of Doctor Strange to talk to a spider in a little crossover with Danny Cates uh, using the wonderful artwork of Chip Zdarsky, who uh, is a great, great artist as well. So a lot of fun little center page spread. Highly recommend you going out and picking up that one just to see what someone who has had the shackles taken off them working with Doctor Strange does. It's really good fun. Absolutely. And it, it was just a nice little fun uh, story in between his previous uh, run of Doctor Strange Damnation and the tie-in comics and, and into then Mark Wade's uh, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy. And with Damnation, Doctor Strange sold his soul to Mephisto. Uh, we had Las Vegas being controlled from the Hotel Damnation by Mephisto collecting his souls. And ultimately, a team of collected superhero individuals from Moon Knight through to Ghost Rider, Iron Fist, uh, as well as Man-Thing, all came together to help Doctor Strange escape his entanglement in the Hotel Damnation under the power of Mephisto. He used some pretty nasty tricks involving Clay, his former wife, his former lover, uh, to trap him in there. Uh, He also had managed to uh, damn the souls of the Avengers as well to fight against the Midnight Suns, the new Midnight Suns, this team assembled by the ever-faithful Wong, uh, as well as great stuff involving Bats the Dog as well. But at the end of this run, we have Doctor Strange exhausted but returned to reality. Zelma, though, has left him. Bats is still with him. Mm -hmm. Wong is now back as a loyal ally of Doctor Strange, but no longer resides at the Sanctum Santorum at Bleecker Street. Zelma has gone and Bats is still with him. So he's lost Selma. That's right, yeah, yeah. But he has got his Sanctum Sanctorum back. She has said, I'll see you in your dreams, uh, kind of thing. So a little bit of a brush off from her. But we may see Zelma back in the future. Just definitely not at the start of this Mark Wade run. 
We do see him opening back up the Sanctum Sanctorum on 177A Bleecker Street. Uh, it's now back under the management of Doctor Strange, and he gets his first good night's sleep in months after uh, going through all the trauma that was in the Damnation. Uh, just having some friends around him again. I think that's where we that's where we leave him. But John, do you want to tell us a little bit about Mark Wade's history with the character here? I think that's probably a good good point to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely, because um, Mark Wade did a, a collected series of issues, uh, The Doctor Is Out. It's mm. issues one to four uh, from 2009-2010. Mm-hmm. There are parallels to The Doctor Is Out with the current run that goes back to Damnation with Donny Cates, but also The Last Days of Magic by Jason Aaron, in that in the... Doctor is out. Doctor Strange has lost his magic. Mm. Magic has not gone from the universe like with Jason Aaron and in terms of with Donny Cates. Magic is starting to return, but it's really focused around amulets and and different objects. Right. Trying to get those different sources to bring magic back into the world after the empirical. But here we have Doctor Strange losing uh, his magic. And it's associated with the run uh, where Brother Voodoo takes over the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme. Oh, very good. It's a nice little novella, really. And, and it's enhanced by knowing the wider story of Brother Voodoo. Uh, I think some of the issues around it at the time was that it didn't add anything that much to it. But in it, we have um, a girl called Cassie who is a natural at magic and Doctor Strange teaching her and being a mentor for her, very much like Zelma. So there are a few parallels here with the current run uh, from The Doctor Is Out. Uh, But I suspect um, in space, things will be very different. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of disconnected from pretty much everything that we've seen and we've talked about in the past. Uh, Should we get on to the actual storyline itself, John? Incantation number two, from triumph to tragedy, magic is disappearing from the universe. Yes, I mean, it's that link again, isn't it, here? The issue opens up with Doctor Strange fighting... Zaxel, uh, an Elder God, which is brand new for the Doctor Strange universe. This mm-hmm. has been created by Mark Wade. Um, and you really think things have kind of moved on a lot from uh, Las Vegas, from the yeah. Damnation yeah, yeah. Uh, run. And all of a sudden, what we find is that this is seven years ago, where Stephen Strange was this really assured Sorcerer Supreme. You know, he's yeah. using magic as the supreme controller of magic within this realm that he inhabits. You know, we see him using the flames of the Faltine against Zaxel. Uh, so it, it's a really nice moment uh, opening up. And you do, until you reach the page where it says seven years later, you realize that this was what used to happen. This was the triumph of Doctor Strange at the height of his powers, effectively. And I have to say, he did feel really cocky here. He felt like that cocky Stephen Strange that we've seen in the past that hasn't gone through all the trials and tribulations that he's been put through over the years to prove the reason why he should be the Sorcerer Supreme. He just felt like he was the Sorcerer Supreme because, well, that's what he's supposed to be. You know, it's a nice little opening to see that side of him. And now, seven years later, we see a bit of a distraught Doctor Strange, kind of wishing he had those days. We see that he loses the second sight from his eyes, the ability to see 
the magic in the universe or the evil things in other, other dimensions that he has available to him, which is a really interesting start to this book. As you say, there have been a number of times in the past where magic has disappeared or where magic users have stopped or where, where Stephen's lost his powers. It's one of those things they depower the hero quite often in, in comic books. It's a, a nice way to set them at a starting point in a storyline. But what you hear from Stephen is throughout this story that it's never completely gone from the universe in the past. He's never had a moment where he can't tap into magic in some other way by using his magic. This time, he's become a civilian again. Yeah, it's it's really like, it's not only that it, it's gone from the universe or, you know, that it, it, it's much more disparate around the universe, but that it is going from him, his ability, his skill at using it has it has vanished and it, it seems really really personal certainly with the eyes going i mean it's a it's a nice little touch where you just kind of get smoke coming out of the iris mm-hmm. really nice touch in the artwork and i think what sets it so nice is uh, from that opening display of arrogance and triumph against axel is he's wandering around the sanctum santorum on his own, you know, he's talking about the walls and sounds playing tricks with his mind. It's really getting into him. You know, he's doubting himself and so on. And I think it's really nicely summed up with the quote that, you know, other creatures are beginning to sense that the Sorcerer Supreme is neither the former nor the latter. You know, it's a great line. Yeah. It's a really nice line. This idea, uh, it's the narrator here that's saying that you, you see all these kind of shadows on the walls, but he has no idea. He doesn't know whether it's past presence of, of um, different magic entities or he doesn't know whether he's just hearing things in this big creaky house on Bleecker Street. So yeah, yeah. It, it's a really nice moment and I think um, it really comes to a fabulous visual for me um, on page 12 of the electronic version of, of this comic actually. And I have to say it's a really nice bit of artwork from Jesus uh, Saez um, in that you see him hugging the cloak of levitation. Mm -hmm. It's really great. You know, I I just love this picture of him. He's hugging it tightly because that's his comfort in a sense. And, And he feels like that's the only way he can hang on to any semblance of being the Sorcerer Supreme. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, well, importantly, what we see earlier on, early on in this story is that as we say, it disappears from his eye first, his left eye first, his right eye next, then it disappears from his body, and then magic starts to disappear from everything around him. All of the tools that he used to use, the cloak of levitation, has lost its power of levitation. We see the eye of Agmado loses its power, then we see the Sanctum Sanctorum losing all of its magic as well. And we see a skip of a month. We see a month that go by when he is no longer living in the magical world that he's been inhabiting for these at least seven years, according to the flashback, I suppose, at the beginning of the book. He's been at least there seven years. But we have this moment where we have Doctor Strange, a person who's been justifying himself to all the other heroes who are going, we got superpowers, what have you got? And he's going, well, I'm the Sorcerer Supreme, I protect the world using magics. And now he can't use them. Now magic has been taken from the entire world and he's having to deal with that. That's a quite a huge step for Stephen Strange, it's quite different from what we've seen in the past. It's not just losing his powers and having to give over the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme to somebody else. There's nobody else because there's no magic. 
Yeah. So it really shows the lasting consequences of the last days of magic for Stephen Strange. Um, having magic taken out of the universe. You know, he, he slowly built up his arsenal of magic again through different objects, really using their power to allow him to cast spells. Mm-hmm. And now, again, it's beginning to fail here. So it's really, really interesting because moving on to our incantation number three... Who does he go to? He goes to Tony Stark for help. Now, there are questions as to the parallels between these two characters, you oh, know? Yeah. Not only in terms of the old mustache, but in terms of their their own uh, behavior and, and, and arrogance, in mustache a sense. Mustache bros. Mustache bros, for certainty. Oh, yeah. um, but certainly, they, they do um, hold certain traits uh, around their personality that, that could be... Pretty off-putting, but and it's probably the reason why they do kind of clash with one another is that they're quite similar in yeah. some respects. Oh, their arrogance is is legendary throughout the Marvel universe. It's it's made it all the way into the movies now. Seeing the two of them on screen together, being yeah, completely brilliant. arrogant to each other in, in uh, Infinity War, it's totally there in the comics. I love the first thing that Doctor Strange basically says to Tony is an insult. He's coming to him for help because. Tony's hit rock bottom before and he's going, so what do you do when you hit rock bottom? It just comes across as this really ignorant, horrible thing to say to Tony. He does help him out, of course, because it's Tony. They have got a relationship where they help each other. But once again, this is something that works really well with those two characters, this man of science and this man of magic. You know, they don't tend to work very well together. They have very different beliefs in how the world works. But Tony's seen so much in his life, he can't deny that magic exists. And Strange knows that if there is no magic there, the closest thing that approximates that in the Marvel Universe is science, because science in the Marvel Universe does things that magic can only do. Yeah, and he was a medical doctor as well, and I think that's kind of an yeah. interesting uh, path here for, for Mark Ways. You know, he really has set up Doctor Strange here as not really liking the engineering and technology aspect that Tony proposes to him here and i think it's a really nice proposal you know dr strange was a man of science and he learned to see beyond that with the magic and as you say tony stark has seen enough magic but is a deep-rooted scientist and so they they come at it from different ways in a sense Mm -hmm. but here tony suggests that maybe because dr strange can no longer move between other dimensions effectively using his magic to find magic that he should go out into space to find magic and answers in this universe in this galaxy instead of different dimensions and different realms yes yes or other galaxies possibly is or the, other is galaxies the idea. yeah it's to get out of the local universe get out of the milky way and perhaps you might find what you're looking for yeah if you have magic on earth you're probably gonna have it somewhere else it's a really logical thought from tony which i which i like i think it's a a nice touch which kind of directly leads us on to where we're gonna spend the most of our time for the rest of these issues incantation number four strange goes to space the sorcerer supreme of the galaxy strange goes to space or strange is lost in space Mm -hmm. and i love the fact that tony has offered him a spaceship here and the first thing he says is 
it's like driving a car. And of course, Doctor Strange hates driving a lot. And again, Understandable. <laughs> you know, moving back to the fact that he doesn't like this detachment um, from the galaxy, this engineering and technology solution that that Tony Stark has offered. But in a sense, he accepts his predicaments. Uh, Tony has made that argument. And so we see him hurtling through space. Luckily, Tony Stark has been developing a intergalactic hyperdrive of some description. Of course. Um, so he has to do something with his weekend. We see him going through space. <laughs> but again, the, the parallels to his car accident. He um, is hit by a meteorite and crash lands on an uncharted planet that seemingly has no magic or the inhabitants have no concept of magic uh, as one of the creatures on the planet says what is magic Uh, and he becomes stranded here on pardon the pun a strange planet uh, (laughs) locked up all alone by the inhabitants of this strange world and and i love the 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 final two panels for me really really good because Mm. It was captured so well as well by the, the the artwork, but it says, with no hope of escape, he struggled not to weep. I think I love that desperation that was embodied with the words and with the artwork uh, here. The desperation of Strange, you know, he is experiencing his mortal form. And it's not just simply the humdrum like we see at the start of the comic book where I think he's walking in the park and he's realizing that all magic has gone. He really is no different from the lady who sat on the park bench. But here he is experiencing his mortal form where he has no way of getting off the planet now. He's been locked up and he's alone. He can't travel through time, space, other realms, other dimensions. He is uh, here on terra firma, on this unusual planet, in this cell. And I really liked that. I thought it was quite... uh, melancholic it was very downer but i thought it was a really nice way of doing it and i think captured very well uh, with the artwork yeah i definitely agree with like what's worse than being on your home planet without magic and being lonely and have nobody to talk to well being on on an alien planet after crash landing the only way that you had to get off that planet and being stuck on your own in a prison uh, with no way off, yeah, pretty much the lowest you can possibly go. You thought you were having a bad day beforehand, Stephen, and then you got involved with Tony and got sent off into space. Uh, yeah, a pretty big downer for the end of our first episode of uh, of Mark Wade's run. Yeah, really is. But very exciting, though. I think I'm excited to see where Mark Wade's going to go, because obviously you can't have you know six more issues of Stephen stuck in a prison. There's going to be some way he's going to get ahead <laughs> of this. Um, but it is really intriguing to see strange in a completely different situation than oh, he's been yeah. before. He mentions himself. He's been to space before. We've seen him in previous books like the Infinity War books. We've seen him in space before, but he doesn't like it. He doesn't go there often. He likes different realms and different dimensions much more than he likes going out into the vastness of space, as he says. So uh, really intriguing premise to start us off. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think this is really intriguing to see Doctor Strange in space without his powers he has to do things in a different way. He has to think about things differently. I'm really looking forward to that um, for sure. And, and I mean, I think moving on to incantation number five, the other thing I'm looking forward to is the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, briefly mentioned it before, two parts of the artwork here that I really, really enjoyed. 
One was on page 12 of the comic where, uh, as I say, Doctor Strange is hugging the Cloak of Levitation. And it's just so nice. You have these long panels down the full length of the page. And as you move from left to right, the, the artwork pans out so he gets smaller and looks more isolated. But the panels get smaller and are enveloped by sort of a black background. And it right. really gives that sense of him uh, alone in Bleecker Street, um, hanging on to his comforter, the cloak of levitation. Mm -hmm. And and I think it really kind of connects nicely to seeing him at the end in the prison cell as well, Um, all alone, but this time without his cloak of levitation to give him some kind of comfort or at least bring him close to his former magical self that he remembers. So I thought that was really, really fantastic uh, artwork there. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd have to highly compliment Jesus says for some of the artwork in the book. There's some really great touches as well. Just having all of those pieces, as you mentioned, John, having the big fight at the beginning, which is him sewing up the fabric of reality at the beginning. That's a really interesting stuff. Having the space stuff towards the end is really interesting, but also him dealing with the mundanity of life when you don't have magic in the world. Yeah, there's some great sepia toned pages early on in the in the book when he's walking past the woman on the uh, on the bench in the park that's really interesting to see because it really does give you that dour feeling of what life would be like if dr strange loses all his powers he can't go back to being a surgeon either because he his hands don't work uh, anymore so that's quite interesting to see the world devoid of magic because that's what they're trying to set up in here as to the motivator for uh, for Stephen to go out into space and try and find some magic relics. But yeah, overall, really good uh, opening issue, I think. Yeah, love that sewing up of the fabric of reality as well. I, um, I mean, it's both literal and lovely in, in what it does mm-hmm. over the, the page. Uh, you know, him trying and succeeding in keeping Zaxel's hordes out of Earth. The defender of Earth, you know, from the magical and mystical threats. So really, mm-hmm. really good um, artwork. And using his surgical abilities, it was a bit of magic as well. Exactly, quite, yeah. Quite so good. it's a nice image, definitely. Yeah. Okay, I think that's the end of our incantations for the first issue of Doctor Strange. We'll definitely be talking about more of Doctor Strange. Overall, John, I'll hand it over to you. What did you think of this issue of Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme of Space? Do you defend it? I do defend this issue of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, Part 1. I, I, I really, um, I think it's that I'm intrigued to see where it goes. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, this first issue um, is, a, is pretty simple in its story. It shows what used to be the desperation that he goes to on Earth, and then him going out into space at the suggestion of, of Tony Stark. I mean, mm-hmm. that's it in a nutshell. But it brings an great amount of emotion it brings a great amount of contrast into this you know from the doctor strange as the arrogant cocky sorcerer supreme he knows the extent of his powers and he doesn't feel threatened to someone by the end of this comic book uh, trying to hold back the tears in a prison cell in a distant planet in another galaxy mm-hmm. really really enjoyed that um, i think some of that desperation brought in both on Earth in Bleecker Street 
as well as back in the cell. Again, really, really good. And I like the nods to the Doctor Strange lore, you know, the, the stitching up of reality back to his medical beginnings and to him actually keeping mystical and magical threats from Earth. It's a, it's a nice introduction to this run. And ultimately, it's Doctor Strange in space. Yeah. Um, he doesn't go to space very often. In the traditional sense of the word, uh, he goes to other realms or other dimensions or he bends and, and warps time and space. Uh, and he uses many different magical incantations. Uh, this is him without that, you know, stripped back, if you will. Yep. And I'm really intrigued to see how Doctor Strange gets on in space with a spacecraft given to him by his moustache bro. <laughs> and so I give this issue of Doctor Strange three spaceships out of five. Spaceships? Oh, that's, that's cute. <laughs> Space rockets. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to continuing on with this series. We'll be back with our next review, issue two of this run of Doctor Strange, uh, next week, and then once a week, up until we've caught up with the Courage run. Uh, so make sure you're reading the comic books uh, along with us. Yes, cannot wait to see what issue two has in store for us. And if you want to let us know your thoughts about Doctor Strange, any of the comic books at all, just email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com and just mark it Doctor Strange so we know we're going to talk about it on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, fellow Defenders. Uh, Really looking forward to getting back to some more comic books. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us on this inaugural launch of Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. And if I don't get caught up in the vastness of space, uh, then we will speak with you again next time. This is Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast, where we're talking about Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy number two. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast, our comic book discussion podcast. And this time we're going to be talking about Doctor Strange, number two, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, part two, by Mark Wade and Jesus Says. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders and Sorcerers. I am one of your other hosts, John. Maybe Supremes? <laughs> I don't know whether the Supremes follow us, John. Not too sure. No, I mean our fellow listeners and defenders, the Supremes. I like that. No, I do like it. It's very cool. <laughs> yes, fellow defenders, we are back with our discussions on Doctor Strange uh, number two, continuing our comic book discussions in between our coverage of Luke Cage and Iron Fist, our TV coverage. So getting deep into this comic book now, and we, the first issue, as we talked about, was very much the setup of the changeover from the old position of Doctor Strange and where he is now out in space. This one seems to have a lot of story in it. Yes, this is uh, certainly heavier on the story, and it's uh, a really uh, good tale as well uh, for our second official episode of our Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. Absolutely, and this is going to be obviously our spoiler-filled discussion about this comic book, so if you haven't read it, go out and grab it, make sure you read through it, and we'll, uh, we'll discuss it then when you get back. Uh, this, in continuity terms, this is issue number 392 of Doctor Strange, just in case you're finding difficulty finding it, uh, but that should be the easiest way to find it. 
Yes, and of course, please subscribe to Strange Tales over at our website on DefendersTVPodcast.com where you can pick from a smorgasbord of choice uh, with regards to your podcast catcher. There is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, as well as any other good or evil podcast catcher such as Podcast Addict or Beyond Pod. <laughs> loads and loads of options. loads of them and you got to use your favorite word in there john smorgasbord again yes i did <laughs> speaking of words i was complaining at last issue about the length of title for these episodes because the uh obviously this is sorcerer supreme of the galaxy part two uh, quite a significant length of title and then obviously popped into my head um because of guardians of the galaxy being shortened down to g-o-t-g we can just call this s-s-o-t-g Right? Yes, we can. Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy. I'm sure that's what they were going for, but smarter minds than us uh, are behind the scenes at Marvel, so uh, it took us two <laughs> issues to get that one. Absolutely. Derek, let's kick this off. What are some of the episode details? <laughs> well, as always, this issue was written by Mark Wade, and the artwork is by Jesus Sayers. Uh, the issue came out on the 20th of June. We were struggling last time when we were talking about the fact that there are four issues of this comic book out, trying to decide which issue is which month. Uh, that's kind of because the first two issues came out in June. So that's not our fault. We just were looking back and didn't see the dates. So um, so this is the one that came out on June 20th. Um, John, do you want to tell us the synopsis that Mark Wade has provided at the beginning of the book this time? Sure. Though the dragon lines were restored and magic on Earth was safe from external threats, Doctor Strange could only watch in horror as his connection to it vanished. Afraid his condition could be contagious to other sorcerers, Strange sought help from Tony Stark, a man of science, with experience rebuilding himself from nothing. Stark's solution? A one-man spacecraft, a universal translator, and a carefully plotted course into the stars. If terrestrial power was unreachable, there must be magic somewhere in the infinite universe that Strange could grasp. But before he reached his destination, a comet stranded Strange on a planet with hostile residents who had no native word for magic. So on to our discussion points for Doctor Strange Part 2 of this storyline. Um, we're not going to do a recap of what happened previously. That's kind of what's in that synopsis that John so wonderfully read. Uh, for us. Yes, thank you, Mark Wade. But I do want to point out one thing that's mentioned there. We had discussed in the last issue or our last uh, conversation that magic has disappeared from the entire universe, and that's why Strange is going on this journey into space. What we see here is actually it's disappeared from Strange, and he's concerned that it's going to be contagious to other magic users. That's different from what we read, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I think we, you know, we asked that question, didn't we, about whether this was kind of almost a recapping of some of the elements from Jason Aaron's um, The Last Days of Magic, mm -hmm. whether it was just recapping that, because obviously we'd gone seven years back, so to an extent it was showing the difference that resulted from that. But we didn't know whether it was kind of post the defeat of the Empirical, um, whereby, you know, magic was no longer being destroyed by these creatures that were hell-bent on uh, destroying magic. Uh, and so that stopped, and the fragments of magic throughout the different dimensions, throughout this particular dimension, or on 
Earth in this universe uh, was really being focused around different amulets uh, and different objects of, of magic significance. Right, right. And of course, really what's been said here then is that that recovery has happened, that defeat of the empirical um, has allowed magic to, you know, begin to recover within the universe as we know it. Mm -hmm. However, Doctor Strange has some kind of affliction still where he is losing his kind of, you know, his signal to, to magic. Yeah. Um, and which was really nicely done just by the sort of the little puff of smoke from the eyes uh, in the first issue where he is going blind to, um, to this uh, magic and to seeing magic that beyond the normal vision that, other people have but also he's losing touch and the feeling and the sensation of magic in the universe but yeah it's not the universe losing magic it's dr strange's connection to that interesting definitely yeah. wanted to make the point that we missed out on that last issue i didn't uh, didn't recognize it in there so that's definitely a change in there uh, i haven't read the jason aaron run so intrigued to know what the empirical is hopefully i'll get the chance to read it over the course of these mm. strange tales on defenders tv podcast uh, i am aware that loki was the sorcerer supreme for a while and i know that he put he magic was. back into the universe as well so part of him was helping dr strange after he took over the mantle for a short period of time but with that, John, let's get on to our discussion for this issue with our incantations. Incantation number one. Yes, Doctor Strange is a slave and test subject on this unfamiliar homeworld of Gorinda. Hmm. You know, we only got a glimpse of um, this new world that Stephen Strange had crash-landed to in issue one. Uh, and certainly at the end of issue one, Doctor Strange was kind of thinking, you know, I come in peace, I come in love, you know, uh -huh. uh, expecting that it wasn't a hostile race. But here, um, they absolutely have put him in prison. And what we see here is beyond that, I think at this stage, he's saying he's about 70 odd days in captivity, yeah. is that they're also um, using him as a test subject. We see a lot of uh, panels here where he is being poked, prodded, tested uh, and and they're really um trying to figure out who this person is but we have here a race that has no concept of magic yeah. they are technologically driven and focused and so there's a lot of science stuff going on here by the grindons on Stephen Strange, and it looks pretty painful as well. Yeah, and it does seem like a bit of a joke, doesn't it, that the uh, rocket ship that was given to him by Tony Stark, our leader of science on, on Earth, seems to have automatically attracted itself to the most technologically advanced race in the universe. It seems like actually maybe this was the destination that Stephen was supposed to be sent by Tony Stark. It's yeah. like, forget your magic. Why don't you go to a really technologically advanced race? Stephen even comments <laughs> on the fact that some of the things they use feel pretty close to magic because they are very far advanced to where we are on Earth. Yeah, this could actually have been a bit of a recce from Tony Stark. <laughs> he knew about this planet. You know, he had aligned the Hubble Space Telescope or something like that towards this world, and he had figured out it could hold life, and he was like going, do you know, I'm just going to plot a course to Grinda. But he knows that Stephen's too smart for that, so he plots a course and makes sure that it's going to be in the path of a comet to knock him out of the sky, you know? 
Yeah, Tony, but it, Tony's a smart man. It will be interesting <laughs> now. You can just imagine that Tony Stark would do something like that. Yeah, so um, maybe it's not an accident that he falls to this planet in Tony's spacecraft. <laughs> you never know. You never know. But like most things on the Mark Wade run, this is a brand new species for the comics. We haven't seen the species before, which kind of brings into play one of the things that we see later on and we'll discuss in one of our other uh, incantations. Yeah, there are a lot of new things being introduced here in this Mark Waves run. We had Zaxel from issue one, the one of the Elder Gods, uh, being introduced. So that's kind of interesting. And, mm-hmm. you know, you really hope that these things will be used again by other writers yeah, and, and in other um, Doctor Strange tales or other comic books, you know, with Brother Voodoo or... I'm Fist or whoever, you know, <laughs> it would be really, really good to see, you know, these new um, characters and a new law being generated. Yeah. Well, how you that in space? You know, maybe the Guardians might use it in another book or maybe we'll have Captain Marvel using it in another book. Maybe it'll form part of the Infinity Wars that's coming up uh, in the later books. Maybe these characters will kind of spread out a bit into those other books that are based in space. You know? Yeah, maybe absolutely. I mean, certainly Stephen Strange if Zaxel is going to be back, uh, has to really get his magic mojo Certainly. back on, to be honest. Um, but speaking of new stuff, mm-hmm. incantation number two, we have Stephen Strange with a potential new ally. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> now, we're not going to pronounce her name here uh, on the podcast because apparently it's more of a sneeze. Yes. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> something like that Zifankana is kind of how she says it apparently this, we've got the spelling in front of us there's no way we're going to be able to pronounce it for Defenders but because it ends with Kana Stephen says to her okay actually I'm just going to call you Kana just to make sure that I don't hurt myself every time I'm trying to say your name a nice little gag from yeah, Stephen there definitely but we have Kana here um, who is an archaeologist not an archaeologist yes. like Stephen Strange thinks that she is She's an alien character as well. Um, I don't know what race she is. It's not um, really revealed here. And Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with Kana at all from uh, any other uh, comics. But she is a new character. She's brand new. She's brand brand new. new. So it is an introduction of a new character in the form of Kana. And she is someone who is familiar with magic, is to some extent, I, I understood anyway that she is doing a similar thing to Stephen Strange, not necessarily to regain magical um, abilities, but she's looking for magical artifacts and objects in order to sell them. Yeah, I got that kind of uh, Lara Croft kind of vibe about it. Yeah, that she's definitely. Going around the universe, raiding tombs to find these magical artifacts. I love this character. Yeah. I really enjoyed the kind of interplay between her and, and Stephen. I love that she recognizes the accent which is actually the voice of earth is basically what she's working it out as and starts calling him earth billy like hillbilly yeah exactly <laughs> or at least that's what the universal translator is picking up uh, it seems to be kind of a, an insulting comment and um, we don't know what planet she's from as you mentioned she says that she's an impatient daughter of a tarak is a phrase that she says but to me that sounds almost like she's saying son of a bitch but in a different way 
So I don't know whether Tarek is the planet that she comes from, or is that her father's name or something like yeah, that? I, or is, is it just one of those phrases that she's saying that just doesn't translate on yeah, the Universal Translator? Definitely. <laughs> like, I, I, I took it as her father's name, but it, yeah, it could be the race here, Tarek. It could be that. Um, or it could be like Son of a Bitch. Though. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> she, she she's a little sceptical of um, the Universal Translator. She sort of clocks it immediately that he's got one because she kind of understands that he would not understand her. Yeah. I love the idea that she's going, there's a familiar smell about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously with the earth billy, as you say, then you're kind of thinking, okay, maybe humans have a, a particular stench about them. <laughs> um, yet again, Laura Croft thing, really good. I love how she, she says to, to Stephen Strange, yeah, I was caught by the Grindons. Um, I was breaking five laws that I didn't know about, but in Furness, I broke two laws that I did know about. Uh, so really, really good. That's right. Um, and as well, just so that we are clear here, an archaeologist is someone who searches out for arcane magical items. Yes. So she's definitely an explorer. She is probably um, a little bit of an Indiana Jones about her. There is a bit of archaeologist in this archaeologist. <laughs> I have to say one of my other favorite lines from Mark Wade in this uh, this issue is when she says, Stephen, you have to try harder with your universal translator. I can hear the quotation marks around archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> really good, really good. Yeah, really, really I like good. these two. They're, they're yeah. working very well together for me. Um, we'll talk about the artwork uh, a little bit later on in, in one of our later points as usual uh, as we go on. Um, John, do you want to take us on to the big moment, the big thrust of what happens in this issue as Doctor Strange tries to escape. With incantation number three, we have that Doctor Strange has revealed to the Grindons the existence of Earth. And it's through the escape by him and Kana from from the jail. And they're racing to get to her ship um, that has been docked uh, as she's been arrested. Um, But... As they're trying to escape, they're kind of hunkering down, trying to hide from the guards that have been put on alert. Doctor Strange hears that because of the tests that they have done on him, they are now very, very intrigued, very, very interested in space travel. And in particular, their destination will be Earth. So there, there is this image of this huge spacecraft being built in the city on Grinda, um, and this is all because of Doctor Strange having crash landed on their planet and then becoming interested in his home planet. And I, I think as well that up till then, we do get this hint that they aren't or haven't been in the past interested in exploring other planets or, or going beyond their own atmosphere to, to explore. Yeah, and I really like the reason why is because, well, they could do everything they, they want to on their home planet. Why would they need to go out to see the stupider races? Is kind of the attitude of it. But they realize with the prodding and poking that they've done to Stephen Strange, actually, the society on Earth is far more advanced than they thought it was going to be. So um, an interesting one here. We know that Stephen Strange, as the Sorcerer Supreme, protects Earth from threats from other dimensions. That's his main thrust of the character that's the main thing that he does and he's now created a problem possibly for the avengers who protect earth from extraterrestrial threats so quite interesting he was almost setting up the avengers to have a huge battle against an entire race coming down to attack planet earth because of the information that they learned from him 
Yeah, it's almost a bit like Star Trek and the Prime Directive here, in that, <laughs> you know, Doctor Strange should never have shown himself, revealed himself to this species. And mm-hmm. um, that, unfortunately, because of the crash landing, he had no choice. But that otherwise, he would have had to have been tiptoeing around metaphorically um, to find magical and mystical items on this planet, if they even existed. And mm-hmm. of course, we find out that they actually do as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, but the, the Grindons have hidden them. That, and this is where Kana has been um, arrested and captured previously. These underground caves or vaults where they put anything that doesn't adhere to their particular ideology about technology Mm -hmm. uh, and their prescribed sort of narrative about their race and their society they've all been put out of the way i mean you know this really is censorship in that sense yeah yeah. um and what canna has actually found uh, before she was captured is Again, it's a new object. It's a new magical object here. It's um, called the Eye of Bosphorus. Um, and it is an object of unlimited power. Um, and the this Eye of Bosphorus can grant those that wield it uh, one spell of their choice, regardless of its power. Mm-hmm. Um, the artifact can only be used once, and it will turn to dust afterwards. So, again... Really interesting. We have this new magical object that's being introduced as well. I love this. What yeah. a great MacGuffin, as as they call them in the in our TV and movie coverage. What a great MacGuffin for uh, for Mark Wade to create here. The one object that can solve all of the world's problems. It's the the object equivalent of the genie in the lamp. You know, rub it once and say, "I need a thousand more wishes," kind of thing. You know, it will it yeah. will do whatever it is you want. Stephen looks at it for the first time, looks upon the image that's drawn forum by Kana and goes all I need to do is say let's get all my magic back sort out everything everything we need to and unfortunately because of his own loose lips um, he has to use it to close off Grinda from the, the universe has to close off this planet so that they don't attack the world yeah it, it's um, like I actually thought this was a little harsh from Stephen Strange actually because I was kind of like going are they all going to suffocate in there? Because effectively it's like putting a plastic bag around uh, a planet or something. You know? No, he's or very specific about his spells. Has so. it blocked out their light so that, you know, the plants die because they can't photosynthesize and, <laughs> and ultimately the Grindon race will die because Stephen Strange has kind of put this magical lock around and cover around this uh, planet I mean, the image of it is, like, fab. I mm. loved it. I loved this kind of white cloud enveloping the Grindon homeworld um, with Doctor Strange in the middle of, of a whole incantation. Yeah. Um, the the other great thing about this is that he, he has tried to use it once, uh, and it's not worked. Mm-hmm. And that's because you have to combine the spell with adrenaline. Hilarious. And it's just so good <laughs> in that... Yeah, he effectively looks as though he's about to base jump um, mm-hmm. from high orbit with this stone. Uh, it looks like he's possibly trying to escape, trying to flee from from Kana mm. with this like fantastic object that he can solve all his problems with. Um, but instead, he uses it to close down the planets so that the Grindons can't leave to go and either attack Earth or mm-hmm. to enslave Earth. 
Um, so th- this was really nice. As you say, it's a, it's a nice catch-22. He's got the answer to his problems in his hand, mm-hmm. but ultimately he acts selflessly um, in order to stop the Grindons from attacking Earth. But yeah, it is quite a big solution to the problem, isn't it? They, <laughs> it really is. They threaten Earth once, and now they can never do any space travel again. And no one can ever visit the planet again, is what we hear. That he's closed off all routes in and out of the Grindon homeworld. So, quite a significant choice here. Yeah. What's As, it? A sledgehammer to crack a walnut? That's the one. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we do see at the end of this that himself and Kana, now that Stephen has had some experience of magic again, the adrenaline has been rising and now they go off on their adventures for more magical and mystical artifacts. That's how their story ends. But as we've learned from many, many Doctor Strange books over the years, the biggest through line through all of them is magic has a price. So on to incantation number four. A mystical accountancy firm, John? That'd be accurate? Yeah, it, like, it's kind of interesting, really, isn't it? Because the um, the accountant who is receiving the accounts receivable for uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange just looks like a regular human, yet the hand that passes him the envelope is a devilish-looking hand, mm-hmm. indeed. I mean, it almost reminded me of, you know, some of those classic... Um, Mephisto looks yes. where he's just a red demon yeah. or red devil uh, and it's straight into my head it well, certainly yeah. looked like that and you're kind of wondering is this Mephisto getting back at him for uh, damnation mm-hmm. in that the fairly extreme solution that Doctor Strange has gone to um, to cut off the Grindon world is a massive bill to be paid uh, in kind by him for the price of magic yes. or that this new object of unlimited power, the Eye of Bassforus, is so powerful because it can grant anyone any wish they want Mm -hmm. that it comes with a massive receipt and can only be used once so it's now off the table that's it it's gone from the world and the universe fab i love this storyline i love this idea that that they hit upon with dr strange we've talked about it numerous times off the podcast as well as on the podcast but this concept of yes he is a supreme magical powered person but Unlike somebody who can punch very strong or run very fast, his magic has a price. There's always a price to pay. This concept that's come in very regularly throughout the Doctor Strange books. And what a great way to do it. Yeah. Have somebody who is totting up the books, looking at this photograph of Strange over the top of a planet as he closes (laughs) it off and going, oh, no, this won't do. Is it because it's Stephen doing it? Is one of the questions that I have coming out of this. Is it because it's Stephen Strange using this power and Stephen Strange is not supposed to be using these powers at all or is it the power that he's used is so powerful yeah exactly that he has a huge price to pay and that's my big question coming out of the and that is the question i also like the the fact that it is a bit buffy the vampire slayer uh, or should i say angel uh with regards to the fact that it is this magical accountancy firm mm. that deals with the payments needed for the use of magic nice um you know we've we've got the bar the secret bar where all the mystical magical characters uh, go for for a drink and yep. to, to meet up now we've got the magical mystical accountancy firm <laughs> and it did it really reminded me of angel like and i really liked uh that idea i do hope we get to see more of this accountancy firm for sure absolutely let's quickly go on to our final incantation john and uh, we have to talk about the artwork for this book i think this this scene that we've talked about a few times here the eye of Bastros locking the planet uh, on pages 17 to 19 on the digital version on comicsology uh, 
is absolutely epic. It looks fantastic. It goes across three full pages as Stephen jumps out of the spacecraft, locks down the planet, and then is seen standing above it. It's it's fabulous. Absolutely it's a great bit of uh, artwork. I, I love the sort of the runic incantation around mm-hmm. his whole body uh, as it then spills out towards the planet of Grinder uh, as it sort of encapsulates it. Uh, it is, as you say, really epic in just the scope of it. Uh, and just so, so nicely done. So much so that, yes, they use it again with the photo Absolutely. coming out of the accounts receivable envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, really good. That must have been the Hubble telescope that took that one, right? It must have. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, maybe they thought it was a star, but it was actually the flash going off of, uh, you know, the the accountancy investigators. <laughs> and again, the design of Canna, I think, is pretty cool, you know? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the Predator kind of dreadlocks coming out from top of her head. Really, nice. really good that's only um, because we just watched alien versus predator isn't it it, it, it really is yeah um <laughs> it really ha- reminded me of some of the designs that are in the um excellent book saga the brian k vaughn yes um, that is true when we're going out into space we're seeing new seeing new creatures and new characters they're obviously going to be uh, some that we've seen before uh, in this case seeing this character kana she's got a really good presence about her and it comes across in her look and in her style she really has that dismissive cocky arrogance of a Han Solo that kind of uh, that adventurer side of her like a Lara Croft kind of thing you know she doesn't seem to suffer fools I love that conversation that they have up to the end of the issue she hasn't even asked Stephen his name because here I was treating you like a sidekick you know uh, I love that kind yeah. of style this design and we said it before in Doctor Strange comic books, one of the things that artists should get excited about when they get the opportunity to work on Doctor Strange is what you can create. What Mark Wade has done in this case is given the opportunity to Jesus says to create the universe, to create planets, to create a whole race full of people, to create this new sidekick, I suppose, or partner for Doctor Strange. That's cool. That's great to have the opportunity where you're not just having to reference back a hundred books to pick up a character you've seen before. You're actually getting to put your stamp on the universe of Marvel. That must be pretty cool. Yeah, that must be like fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is. It's just some really good uh, artwork as well. Even just like the the colouring, the the tone of it it is really nice because it is really colourful, but it's also muted at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, and I really, really enjoy that. It's vibrant. It, it's really colourful, but it's not over the top and in your face. Yeah. And I yeah. really, really am enjoying the artwork here. And I think, as you say, it, it, it's that partnership between the writer and the artist in comic books where um, it is this dual vision yeah Um, exactly you know there's the writer who is writing the dialogue writing the story and the artist putting the um the pains together to visualize that which Mm -hmm. is such a unique experience in literature in that sense you know obviously it's used widely in doing movies in terms of doing those panels to to construct and plan the shot of the the camera but Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's really really good Um, in the comics it's quite rare like you know this used to be the purview of indie comic books you know i mentioned saga i mentioned you know things like why the last man where you have a partnership side by side 
The Walking Dead would be another example of having the same artist and the same writer on a book for decades <laughs> in some cases. It's not something you see very often in the big yeah. the big uh, comic books in, in DC and Marvel. You see it in things like Batman with Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. You've seen it in a, a number of cases before, but it's great when these comic books are written by people who are putting their own stamp on the world. And already two issues in, I really want to see more of Jesus Sayers' work. Uh, what he's done here has been fantastic, really enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I'm, certainly for me, you know, Black Science is another example where you have Remenda and Scalera uh, really having a fantastic time together designing a whole new world mm-hmm. um, based on the story so really really cool like in seeing new stuff i like that you mentioned rick remender we may be coming back to him in future uh some of our strange tales on defenders tv podcast as well i think that's it for incantations john uh gonna give it over to you as usual do you defend this issue of dr strange the sorcerer supreme of space number two yes i do defend this issue of dr strange sorcerer supreme of the galaxy i give this four name sneezes out of five i I really enjoyed just the development you know really quickly into seeing dr strange hook up with canna in the prison cell and just their pitter patter between one another so so good i like the fact that she is absolutely has no reverence for dr strange and she as you say, treating him like a sidekick. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And then again, the continuation of this really good artwork coupled with the story. And, and for me, you know, seeing the accountancy firm and the accounts receivable uh, as Stephen Strange, again, forced into a position where he could use it for himself, but doesn't, decides to act for the benefit of Earth and humanity. Mm-hmm. And, of course, to give the Avengers and the Defenders uh, a bit of a break. <laughs> so um, I really enjoyed this. And I, yeah. I can't wait to see um, Kana and Doctor Strange head off uh, and see what other adventures they get into as they search for other magical artifacts. I, I thought it was really, really good. And, again, I like the fact that, you know, his um, escape comes from a dark place as yeah, well yeah. in that you know he's been a test subject and ultimately he realizes that the grindons uh, maybe aren't as insular as they appear uh, and that they've got some pretty bad stuff for um earth however what he did certainly seemed extreme and looks like he's gonna get one huge bill at the end of the year <laughs> we'll see we'll see definitely uh, two things particularly that i loved about this uh, the idea of having him on the planet in captivity for 73 days getting um tortured during that time has brought him to a level we don't normally see Doctor Strange at. He's not the arrogant Doctor Strange, which means that moment when he meets Kana is different to the way he normally meets other characters in his world. He's a he's a downtrodden character. He's wondering, is there a way out of this situation or has he lost a bit of hope? That's a really nice choice. The other thing I really liked about this, it's quite standalone. Um, it starts off with him in a cell because of what happened in the previous issue, but by the end of the issue, it is to infinity and beyond. Where are we going to go next on our next adventure? It's not really telling us exactly what's going to happen in the next one. So it could be anywhere. It could be any planet. But I am really looking forward to seeing the adventures between these two characters. Fellow Defenders, that's it for our coverage of this issue of Doctor Strange. 
SSOTG number two. Yes, we will be back with Doctor Strange issue number three, which is the Super Scroll and the Time Stone. Ooh, Ooh spoilers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What time Stone might that be, I wonder? Is there only one? <laughs> there can be only one, John. We can know there be only one? That. Yes. As fellow Defenders, make sure you stay subscribed to the podcast over at DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can subscribe to it on any mystical or magical podcast catcher like Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can see those over on our website. We also have a feed just for our Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. Uh, you can find that over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts just by searching for Strange Tales. You should see it pop up there in the next couple of weeks. Uh, looking forward to be back for the next episode. Yes, as always, fellow Defenders and the Supremes, <laughs> it is a pleasure um, speaking with you. And yeah, I'm off to go and have a bath to get rid of that earthbilly smell um, just to clean up in time for when we come back to speak with you next time. Welcome back to Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast with our spoiler-filled discussion of Doctor Strange, Issue 3, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, by Mark Wade and Jesus Says. Welcome back, fellow Defenders and the Supremes, to Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. This is DTVP173, and we are looking at Doctor Strange Issue 3 with our spoiler-filled discussion of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, Part 3. Yes, I am one of your hosts, John. So we're keeping the fellow Defenders and the Supremes then, John, are we? We could call, we could say Sorcerers. I like fellow defenders in the Supremes. I like it. It's a nice little touch for these episodes. Uh, I'm one of your other hosts, Derek, uh, for these podcast discussions of Doctor Strange getting into an Infinity Wars tie-in for this issue. Pretty cool. Yes, most definitely. Our third installment of Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. And we're coming to Infinity Wars Mm tie-in, not only with the comics that are currently being published as well but also um with having infinity wars the movie this year so it is infinity central going on uh in the marvel universe both comics and mcu everybody loves those stones and gems don't they (laughs) they really really do Uh, and here we certainly see one of those gems a very familiar gem for dr strange popping up uh into his grasp Mm-hmm, absolutely. And if you have not subscribed to our podcast, make sure you pop on over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com, where you can find any way to subscribe to the podcast on any magical or mystical podcast app that's out there, including Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts as well. Our feed hasn't gone up yet for Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. It's having a little challenge with Apple Podcasts at the moment, just getting it up. Uh, it should be up pretty soon, though, uh, if you want to subscribe to just our comic book coverage on there. Um, but yeah, please subscribe so you can stick with us for our coverage of Doctor Strange. Absolutely. Subscribe, rate us, leave a review, because sharing the love is sharing the podcast mm-hmm. with other comic fanatics out there. And in particular... 
Doctor Strange comic fanatics. Definitely, definitely. And of course, if you want to send us any feedback at all, you can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Remember, once we finish these, this short run of these four issues of Doctor Strange, we'll be going monthly with our Doctor Strange coverage. So you can just email us as soon as you've read the issues and we'll be able to talk about your feedback on the podcast as well. Yes. John, I think we should get into this issue. As always, the issue is written by Mark Wade and the artwork is by Jesus Says. Uh, the issue was released on July 4th, and it is, as we mentioned, a tie-in to the Infinity Wars event. John, do you want to tell us Mark Way's synopsis from the first page of this book? I certainly do. With the assistance of interplanetary archaeologist Kanna, Doctor Strange broke out of prison on planet Grinder. She was wary of him. To her, spells and arcane artifacts were primarily objects of intellectual inquiry, or fodder for the trade. But Strange proved his worth when he executed the planet-enveloping spell that assured their escape. The successful casting also buoyed Strange's spirits. This plan to leave Earth to revive his connection to magic could really work. The Sorcerer Supreme and the alien archaeologists agreed to go adventuring together. It is like the famous five, except in space and <laughs> with only two people. <laughs> so the famous two in space. Uh, in space. I like it. I like it. And well done for not saying archaeologist, John. Archaeologist. Another new word added to our lexicon by the wonderful writers on Doctor Strange. Uh, there's loads more in here as well. But I think we should get into our top five, John. Yes, our spoiler-filled discussion of part three of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy with incantation number one. It is the continuing adventures of Doctor Strange and Kana. Yeah. Um, yeah. You get a nice little montage of them searching for these artifacts um, where Kana does say that ultimately she's not that attached to them. Yes, some of them may be, but otherwise they can be sold as trade. And you do get a nice little panel where she's trying to sell one of the artifacts. And Doctor Strange is kind of like, uh, hang on a second, you can't sell that. That is the world heart talisman. Mm -hmm. So who only knows what that can do uh, in the hands of someone that probably shouldn't have their sweaty mitts uh, on them. But uh, so it, it's a nice continuation of that dynamic between them searching for these different spells, artifacts on different planets around this area of the universe of the galaxy. It's great to see these two back out free from uh, Planet Grinder. Yeah, definitely. I kind of like the idea that they kept this going as well because they could have just moved it straight into the storyline here, um, not seeing them do a bit, the, bit of the planet hopping, but it's always fun to see that. It's a space story, so have to have them doing a little bit of swashbuckling and adventuring while they get the artifacts back from uh, from various different places. But this does serve another purpose. We get a little, oh, yeah. bit of a, a little bit of a recap of the basic origin of Stephen Strange, um, which is quite interesting. He's, they say he's been pra practicing magic for over 10 years is how he describes it not 50 years as uh, is more accurate to the comic book i think <laughs> um we have uh, a conversation where he says he was an arrogant ass whose pride got the best of him but now magic has humbled him and he has a new purpose or he has a renewed purpose so whether that's part of the original origin story that that is the reason he became a better person is by magic humbling him or whether he's talking about now having magic back in his life as that humbled him again uh, is not 
100% clear, but it works for both purposes, really. Yeah, it does. And it really is Doctor Strange in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do get to find out more about Kana as well, Mm -hmm. uh, where we see that her father was a magic user as well. But her mother, you know, this yin and yang, opposites attract, was a scientist. So effectively, she has grown up with both magic and science. In some ways, it reflects Stephen Strange as well, mm-hmm. uh, with his medical science and then being exposed to to magic through the Ancient One. And so with growing up, she combined these two different strands of thought and powers and, and technology uh, when something happened to her parents. But we don't really hear uh, what happened to her parents. She's still uh, not really um, going to give that away to Stephen. She's still thinking he is an Earth Billy. Uh, so you get that nice little reference to um, that kind of derogatory term that she was calling him uh, from the last issue. Yeah. Um, and she is still very dismissive of, of Stephen's magic. Uh, she feels that he is a, a little bit um, untutored in, in some of these artifacts. She feels a lot more uh, knowledgeable about these. And, and I think that's probably coming off where Stephen has come from in terms of what's happened to him and his very recent experiences where he just really seemed to mess things up constantly. Yeah. Uh, plunging the planet, or at least Las Vegas, I should say, into Hotel Inferno and the grasp of Mephisto, but also just, yeah, him losing his magic, being challenged on it, and realizing that magic can be destroyed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, one of my favorite lines in the book is where you see how dismissive Kana is of Stephen's magic, where she says, how long is it that you have been practicing what I'm sure seems to you adorably like actual magic? (laughs) Just completely dismissive of him, where effectively all he's doing in her mind is just using these tools that she's picking up to approximate magic. It's not really that he's doing magic. He's just kind of using some tools. We also see him during this planet hopping, doing some training with some of the sorcerers as well. Yeah, and I I think we get a nice little bit of information. You know, he says magic comes at a cost, but the magician no longer cared. You know, that narration. Um, And and we see that, you know, the more magic that he is being exposed to on these planet hoppings, the more that he thinks he's going to return to being the Sorcerer Supreme. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really interesting in the context of the accounts receivable from the last issue where he has enveloped the planet Grinder uh, and obviously people in the magical accounts department are taking note. So he no longer cares, but other people do. And it will be interesting to see how that plays out across this series about that price of magic and certainly about whether Doctor Strange does manage to get back to being Sorcerer Supreme in that sense that we knew him before Damnation and before Jason Aaron's run. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be really interesting to see how far they're going to take it. We see a little indication towards the the end of this book as well. Let's get on to incantation number two, the planet Tarnax 2. Works well for incantation number two there, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. (laughs) Tarnax 2 for incantation number two. Exactly. And here we are getting a lot of apostrophes in the names of scrolls. Uh, this is really interesting, Kana bringing Stephen to meet this new magical trainer. You know, he's been and seen other ones previously, uh, and that's all been fine. Um, he's called Mutnox, um, and he is the greatest sorcerer, but he is the greatest sorcerer in scroll 
history. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that really freaks out Stephen, um, given the, the history of Earth and the Skrulls. You know, we've had Secret Invasion. We've had Super Skrulls. So um, the Skrulls really are, as Stephen Strange said, um, are evil. He sees them as being simply evil. You know, they want to conquer. They want to control. They want to destroy. It really is a moment where Stephen is knocked off kilter by Kana, bringing him to Tarnax 2. It's kind of interesting because it comes from the fact that she dated a scroll. Yes, yes, great little joke in there about Bitnox, uh, her former partner, uh, where he did actually bring the shape-changing abilities into the bedroom. Uh, nice little touch in there from uh, yeah. from Kana. I or, must say, with Bitnox, I did think Buttox. <laughs> Interestingly named scroll there, uh, but I love the artwork here. Really, this is one of the best moments of artwork that we see throughout the book uh, from Jesus Sales. Um, this moment when Stephen's walking around completely freaked out, doing a bit of a Harry Potter underneath his invisibility cloak uh, as they go out, uh, looking around the scroll new home planet of Tarnax 2. Uh, I love this moment when you see Stephen's face and he's looking around him, uh, realising that everything around him, from plant to tree to bush to water to, uh, to humanoid that's around there, every single thing on the planet could be a scroll. You know, he, as he says... Why create a house when you can turn yourself into a house if you need shelter? You know, that kind of thing. So uh, fascinating little uh, idea here. And I love that it was translated so well onto the page uh, in the artwork. Yeah, I think the artwork here is really, really good. Um, I really like it when they come across Smutnux and he's casting spells with multiple arms and he's able to conjure up multiple spells from each of his hands and this just fascinates Stephen Strange that he is effectively combining different spells to give a bigger greater more powerful overall magic effect and I thought the the artwork there was fascinating and really really nicely done and so here we see in this this moment that the scroll magician is combining the flames of Faltine and the Serachim uh, with this multi-arm technique. Um, and obviously we had the flames of Faltine in um, the first issue of this Mark Wade run uh, where he was combating uh, Zaxel mm-hmm. a, um, in another dimension. Uh, but it was first used in Strange Tales issue 150 in 1966 whereas the Serachim is a spell that hasn't been mentioned before so I'm really enjoying that Mark Waid is expanding the universe of Doctor Strange and bringing in some new names some new ideas some new characters um, and some new bad guys as well not necessarily here on this scroll planet but for example Zaxel so um, yeah really really interesting Mm-hmm. And we also see that he's not only using these multiple spells, but he's got access to one of the Infinity Gems, the Time Stone. Well done to Mark Wade right there, just for avoiding one of the uh, challenges that seems to happen quite a lot with these books, where the gems and stones do get uh, mixed up a lot. Some writers call them gems, some writers call them stones. He has it in one line of dialogue that there's infinity gems and this is the time stone. So nice little touch there. Well done, Mark. Uh, but this is the whole purpose of Mitnox. This is the whole reason he's there doing these spells. Let's get on to incantation number three. We meet the overlord, Lord Clurt, the super scroll. Yeah, or also known to his friends as Kurt. 
Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> um, yes, Clert here, um, Lord Clert, um, has asked Mutnox to increase the power of the Infinity Gem, mm-hmm. presumably through this new technique that Doctor Strange has, has viewed. Um, he is a leader, or the leader, I should say, of the Scroll race, but he is a super scroll. I love the fact that his powers are those of the Fantastic Four. So we see Reed Richards' um, elasticity, we see the things rock, uh, and we see flame on. Yes, bit of the human torch in there. I think we see a little bit of the invisibility, or don't see a little bit of the invisibility of uh, Sue Storm as well in there, probably. Uh, But interestingly, we are getting the return of the Fantastic Four in the main series of comic books at the moment, just in the books at the moment as it goes into the Infinity Wars. So uh, so quite interesting that we see the return of Super Scroll. He's... appeared right back in Fantastic Four number 18 as one of the main attackers uh, being sent to Earth to destroy the Fantastic Four and having their powers, which is a nice little touch. And his mission is to rebuild the Skrull Empire Mm -hmm. uh, after they had settled on Tarnax 2 at the end of Marvel's uh, Infinity event previously. And Clert was crowned effectively nominated as their leader Mm -hmm. Uh, so he is here trying to rebuild the scroll empire through the assistance now of the time stone that they have managed to get into their possession here Uh, and and is being worked on by the scroll magician matt knox and moving on to incantation number four, uh, this super scroll uh, ends up in a battle with both Kana and with Doctor Strange, because as soon as they see the time stone, Doctor Strange is even more freaked out than he was after learning it was a scroll planet, because uh, he understands the power. He understands how the scroll are probably going to use it in terms of empire building, in terms of conquering. And for him, he knows the scroll are evil. Uh, so this is the moment where Stephen uses the invisibility to get close to try and get the Infinity Stone. But Lord Clert is absolutely on it, deploying his Fantastic Four powers yeah. against them. Uh, but Stephen Strange uh, counters with a bit of fantastic magic as well. And, of course, he does manage to get to the Time Stone uh, first, and so is able to utilize the power of the Time Stone against Clert. Unfortunately, Matt Knox is killed by Clert in this battle. Nice little uh, move from Canada. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, he has not only lost the time gen in this moment, but he also loses um, his magician. So it, it's a really good little battle scene, seeing Stephen and, and Kana working together to fight against Clert. And it's a really nice way that Stephen tricks Clert um, into his own defeat, yeah. effectively, using the time gem. Yeah, I'm wondering if Stephen needs to take up the mantle of the trickster. Since Loki took up the mantle of, uh, of Sorcerer Supreme, uh, Stephen has become quite tricky here. Uh, first off, we do see that he says to Kana to try and get her into the fight, because she says, I'm not entering this fight, I don't care how powerful that thing is, I am salivating at the mouth at the thought of it but i'm not getting into the fight because it's an entire planet that will be going after us if we do so he tricks her by saying he'll give over the infinity stone to her any thought that he might possibly have done that that he would actually give the time stone to kana don't think so i think uh, it seems like stephen will always 
go after that and knows he's the right one to be in charge of it or, in, or, or take it at least because nobody else can have that power. It's a little Machiavellian mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. And it also, you know, it really speaks to Stephen Strange being that kind of member of the Illuminati and really what we saw in the MCU Infinity Wars as well, uh, in that idea that he will make a choice, he will carry out an action or he will make the decision that on the face of it looks like it is probably the most unpopular one. Mm -hmm. For example, if it's a choice between the Time Stone, Tony Stark and Peter Parker... He's saving the time stone. You know, that's what he says to Stark, um, which, you know, is just sets you aghast that, you know, he's putting a mineral, a a stone above these two characters, Mm -hmm. these two living humans uh, and superheroes. So it's really interesting. And and so even though we get this promise, um, it's very difficult to see that Doctor Strange will follow through with it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt in my mind that this was going to be the twist. So we do see him return to their ship. Uh, we see him locking the stone away, but he does have the conversation with Kana. Uh, he locks up the gem, telling her that it can't be in anybody's hands, effectively telling her that he's lied to her immediately after they get back to the ship. Um, but after telling her, then he wipes her mind and wipes her memory of uh, the knowledge of what happened on that planet. So a very tricky Stephen Strange, as usual, kind of from his Illuminati times, kind of going for the greater good. Yeah, and using the palm of forgetfulness. Mm. Um, it's definitely not the first time that Stephen has done something like this, as it were. He's wiping the mind of somebody to keep uh, his attitude of what is the greater good a secret. Uh, we know in previous storylines he's wiped the mind of Captain America when he opposed things that the Illuminati wanted to do, um, which did come back to bite him pretty badly. And I'm expecting from the end of this book, uh, this may not be the last we'll hear of uh, of Kana's knowledge of the infin- of the Infinity Stone and of what Stephen just did to her. Like we we close out this part of the book with her going. I trust you, Stephen, implicitly, no matter where we're going, kind of thing. And you're going, eh, well, right directly after he's just wiped her mind. Um, yeah, it's a really it's, nice moment where she has only a few panels before saying, I no longer trust you, after she realizes that he is never going to give her the time stone. And then he wipes her mind. Yeah. And there is this uh, flooding of trust for Stephen Strange. So, I mean, you know, if or dare I say it, when um, she finds out what's happened and how it's happened, I think this will be um, really, really crucial in this run. And he really has a knack for this as well. I mean, you know, Zelma as well has left him because of the things he has said to her uh, in order to what he thinks is protector. So he's not letting these people in. And again, he is defaulting back to that position here with Kana. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it really does seem to suggest that a magic leopard doesn't change its spots Absolutely. either. <laughs> yeah, never will. Never will. Uh, let's go on to our final incantation because, well, we get the reappearance of one of our favorite characters for the first time in the Mark Wade run. And Bats the Dog is the closing section of uh, of this comic, uh, of this issue of the comic. Great to see Bats back. 
a nice little one-liner from, as as usual with Bats, as he's taking himself for walks in and out of, of the walls <laughs> of the sanctum, saying it's not as much fun when, when your owner doesn't take you for a walk when you can make yourself walk on your own. But Yeah, um, and you can let yourself in and out yeah. at will. There's really no fun in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great to see Bats, the, the ghost dog, back. Really good to see him. I'm so glad that Mark Wade has included him. He's such a favorite of mine. And I think he's a favorite of a lot of people who have read um, Doctor Strange or of late. Um, but in the Sanctum, there is a very surprising visitor. He's cloaked in shadow. We uh-huh. have no idea who it could be. And, it, you know, Bats really wants to know how worried he should be that this mysterious figure is there. Is it Tony Stark? Is it someone else? Is it the accountants who's come for the, the payment that is due? Again, uh, it looks like Mr. Stephen Strange may need to be dug out of a hole that he has created in some way. Maybe, yeah. Um, or the fact that he now has the time stone in his possession that somebody is fully aware of this uh, and is looking uh, for him to come and bring this Infinity Stone to him for some purpose or for some reason. Yeah, it is really interesting with this kind of stuff in comic issues, isn't it? Because you can't even tell whether it's male or female, obviously, from the voice, because you can't hear the voice. It's completely sh- shaded in darkness and done by possibly a different artist than the next time we see it. So it's very hard to make out the shape. I think it might be someone like... Uh, Tony Stark or maybe Captain Marvel or one of the one of the other characters that is involved in the Infinity Wars. Uh, we do see on the cover of the book that it is an Infinity Wars tie-in. Uh, let's just quickly speak about that, John. Um, at the time, I don't think you would need to have read this to read Infinity Wars. It's really just telling you the placement of that Infinity Stone, of the Time Stone and where it is at the beginning of the Infinity Wars. It's just telling you that it's in the possession of Stephen Strange uh, at that moment. But the rest of the story of Infinity Wars takes place after this. So it's just a nice moment just to find out how it came back into the possession of Doctor Strange, really. Yeah, absolutely. This this is really just saying that Stephen Strange has the Time Stone uh, and that he will play some part in this new Infinity Wars tie-in. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Uh, a couple of quick little notes just to mention for anybody who wants to read along and wants to read those other issues and other books. Uh, as you mentioned earlier on, The Flames of Faltine, if you want to see those in action again, go back to The Wonderful Strange Tales comic books, which we will be getting around to covering at some point. As John mentioned, it's in uh, issue 150 from 1966, so you can see those in action outside of Mark Wade's run all the way back then. Uh, the Scroll settled on Tarnax 2. That was at the end of Marvel's Infinity event. It was issue number six, and that's where they crowned Clerse as their leader as well so just a little moment as, as to why they're on this planet because this isn't their original home planet and finally the time stone how did it get into the possession of Clerse unfortunately it's actually just a one page insert at the back of um, Hulk 713 which was a lead into the second planet Hulk storyline so I don't know whether you need to read the entire issue because it is genuinely just one page at the back where he goes to Sakaar, which has been rebuilt by the Time Stone, and finds the Time time Stone there and takes it. And that's literally a four-paneler. So so there you go. That's how he got it in his possession anyway. Yeah, excellent. So, Derek, do you defend this issue 
of Doctor Strange. <laughs> I really enjoyed this issue. I really, I'm really enjoying this run so far. It's, it does feel really different from the Doctor Strange books that I've read before. Uh, I love that they're giving so much opportunity to, to Jesus Says to do his artistic work on this book, do something very different. I'm not sure about reading some of this stuff out loud because I don't know whether we've pronounced any of the scroll names correctly <laughs> at all. Some of the magic uh, stuff that's in there, again, they're all words that we can read, I guess. Uh, so, so most of them we can read properly, but it's been a really enjoyable book. Mark, Mark Way is doing a great job on here. Uh, really excited to see this this continue. And John, since this is really your book, you've got your Doctor Strange. So, John, do you defend Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy Part 3? I do defend this issue of Doctor Strange. I give this four bedroom scrolls out of five. Um, yeah, really enjoyed this. Um, you have the the clerk, the matnox, and the buttocks um, all to coming together. <laughs> really nice moment of peril for Doctor Strange arriving on this scroll homeworld, but finding out that you know the scroll are back up to their usual tricks of trying to build their empire. But this time they have the Time Stone, one of the Infinity Gems in their possession. I absolutely love that artwork of the scroll magician, Matt Knox, uh, casting his spells, doing his incantations. Great battle scene. And again, I'm really loving the pitter-patter of dialogue and exchanges between Doctor Strange and Kana. And I think what's really nice about this is that by the end of it, Doctor Strange is doing stuff without her permission by wiping her mind. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's going down that same road that has happened to him with Clea and with Zelma, where when they find out, they will realize that they can't trust him, despite those final words of Kana in this issue, which is... I trust you, Stephen. So again, it's really playing with how he is so divorced from the here and now in that moment because he is thinking of all these different existential things that he has to protect Earth or the galaxy from. Uh, you know, we saw that in the last issue with the planet Grindar where he envelops it and now we see him doing the same thing to Kana by retaining the Time Stone and wiping her memory of all knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, of course, we get Bats the Dog <laughs> and a mysterious visitor to the Sanctum Santorum in New York. So really, uh, really good issue. And, you know, the start of a nice little tie-in with the Marvel Infinity Wars. So, yes, I do defend this issue of Doctor Strange. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Really good one this time again. And as we mentioned before, you can contact us if you want to share your thoughts with Doctor Strange, the Mark Wade run. You can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com and make sure you stay subscribed to the podcast by going through DefendersTVPodcast.com. Absolutely. And again, as always, thanks so much for joining us, fellow Defenders. We'll be back next week with issue four. Absolutely, fellow Defenders. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm off to go and have a dabble with the palm of forgetfulness. Hopefully I won't forget that I will be back next week to speak with you. <laughs> Bye for now. Welcome back to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. This time we're discussing Doctor Strange number four by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayas.
Welcome back, fellow defenders and uh, Supremes, to our issue discussion of Doctor Strange number four, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, uh, done by Mark Wade and Jesus Says. Uh, yeah, getting on to the fourth issue of this book. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Derek. Hello there, fellow Supremes. I am one of your hosts, John, as well, back for Doctor Strange and Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yes, our fourth episode of the Strange Tales run now so it's starting to get off the ground and we have some great news of forthcoming comic book discussions on strange tales as well mm-hmm. so uh really can't wait to share those with you yeah yeah definitely and some great news we finally got strange tales on defenders tv podcast set up on google podcasts and over on itunes or apple Podcasts, depending on what way you want to call it um all you need to do is just search for Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast. You'll pick up all of our comic book reviews, including all of our Damnation coverage, plus all the coverage that we're doing for Strange Tales, including these four Doctor Strange issues. Uh, we are now caught up to date on the Doctor Strange run so far. Uh, this issue was released on the 15th of August of this year, 2018. Uh, so that means that our next issue of this coverage will be for Doctor Strange number five, coming out at the end of September, or mid- mid-September, I think it is. So um, we'll talk about that later on uh, in in our discussions but that's where we're going to be going with this we'll be taking a little bit of break after this going back to our normal coverage for iron fist the second season on netflix uh, really looking forward to covering that as well yeah cannot wait for iron fist season two another one of my favorite comic book characters mm-hmm. uh, brought to life through marvel netflix so yeah season two it will be a roller coaster no doubt with uh, everything that went on from season one plus we had Danny Rand in The Defenders, and of course he was there recently on Luke Cage Season 2. So mm-hmm. he hasn't really been out of the, the limelight of the Marvel Netflix shows uh, since his first season. So it's a really interesting look at that character. He's kind of consistently been there yeah. over the last different series of the Defenders on Netflix, other than maybe The Punisher. So mm-hmm. oh, no maybe about it. He wasn't in The Punisher. Uh, I would like to see those two go up against one another, though, um, (laughs) since he can deflect bullets with his iron fist. Ooh, Kenny, that's cool. Yes. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, also looking forward to catching up with the other characters that we haven't seen since Iron Fist, like Joy Meacham and Ward Meacham, seeing what they've been getting up to. Uh, Characters like Davos, who we haven't seen since the first season. So really excited to get back to that. But first, we are going to be talking about a comic book. Uh, You have to have read the comic book to listen to this podcast, obviously, because it is a spoiler-filled discussion. Um, Uh, Interestingly, following on from issue three, this is not a tie-in to the Infinity Wars event. As we'd speculated during our coverage of issue three, that is just telling us where the placement of the time stone is. It's no direct connection to Infinity Wars, so we won't be covering the Infinity Wars event on this unless it has a direct bearing on Doctor Strange, right? Uh, Absolutely. That's the plan, right? Yeah, that is the plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the Infinity War series at the moment is a pretty good read as well Mm, so if you're interested in anything to do with infinity wars it's certainly something to check out as well yeah and another space set book as well so if you're excited about the space set characters like the guardian of the galaxy and captain marvel those kind of characters it's a very similar uh, type of, of book to those books as well but let's get into this issue as always this book is written by mark wade and the artwork is by jesus says john do you want to tell us the synopsis that mark wade gave us at the beginning of this book sure Stephen and his new friend Kanna, an archaeologist, continue their cosmic jaunt, acquiring and trading mystic artifacts while rebuilding Doctor Strange's skills and confidence. 
Though Kana believed she was doing the Doctor a favour by introducing him to a Skrull sorcerer acquaintance, Strange's mistrust of the Skrulls proved well-founded as the alien magician was handing over the Time Infinity Stone to the Super Skrull. Stephen risked his and Kana's lives to intercept it, then cast a spell so she would forget the stone was in their possession. So their adventure goes on, with Kana unaware that Stephen's arrogance has already come between them once. Absolutely, I certainly think uh, Stephen Strange's arrogance is on show once again uh, in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, it's been gone for a while. Yep. Uh, it comes back intermittently, but certainly here... It's great seeing this aspect of this character coming back as his confidence improves as both Kana and him jaunt, as Mark Waze says, through the the galaxy. I'd quite like to do a jaunt through the galaxy, actually. <laughs> cool, yeah. I think it'd be pretty good. Yeah. But it is one of those things where, you know, and this is what I love about this character, is that, you know, do you root for him or are you simply infuriated by him? And <laughs> You know, because... Where he is, what he does, this idea that he is a supreme sorcerer defending Earth, defending the galaxy from other realms, mm-hmm. mystical threats, magical threats. He does have that detachedness about him. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, a bit like Tony Stark, as we discussed previously. You know, it does mean that you have to kind of take the rough with the smooth a bit with uh, Doctor Strange. Yes. And uh, yeah. He is certainly doing a bit of rough at the moment. Definitely, definitely. And to quote a very famous TV personality, it's all about the confidence for Doctor Strange, isn't it? It really uh, as is. As Gokwan once said, um, he, once he gets that confidence back, and you see it a lot here, as, as you mentioned, John, we're going to go into it, into our uh, incantations. But as you mentioned, start, he's starting to get all of his powers back, starting to be able to connect back in with all of the mystical and magical tools that he uses. So he's starting to get that feeling of, I am now the Sorcerer Supreme. He's very close to getting back to that level again. And with that confidence, with that that pressure of the universe on his shoulders comes the arrogance that he can do whatever he wants to. So he's called out quite well in this book. But let's get into our incantations, John, because our first incantation deepens the mystery of this book. Uh, to begin with. So what we find in the opening of this book is that Stevens lost his memory to the connection as to why he lost the magic. We find out that he lost a couple of days in the run-up to why he's lost the magic, which provides some brand new questions for us. Yeah, it's uh, really adds the layers, I think, to um, Stevens' Uh, journey without magic at mm-hmm. this moment and and that you know whether it is through old age or or whether it is through <laughs> the the magical confines of 177a bleaker street he he doesn't have any memories um from that run-up to where he lost uh his magic or that connection to uh, the magic. Uh-huh. He he literally has nothing there to be able to tell Kana uh, when she, you know, begins to ask questions and explore their relationship. Yeah. So this is really interesting. You know, he 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 posits a few theories here, which I think are some of the great questions that maybe deepens this uh, a bit more. You know, has his memories been removed? Did he battle a demon um, and and have it removed? You know, was that part of a spell cast by the demon? Yeah. Was it a punishment, ultimately? You know, was it this cost of um, his previous magic? Yeah. You know, the, it's a big theme running through these that magic has a cost. And it's really being played out quite frequently uh, within these 
few series of Doctor Strange. It's always been there, but they really are focusing on it. So Mm -hmm. was it that cost of his previous magic? We have seen the accounts receivable in this series so far. So, you know, some really good questions being asked here. And it's great seeing that confusion, that slight loss here uh, of Stephen Strange, not really knowing how it all happened, why mm-hmm. he lost his connection to magic. Um, and I think that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I definitely want to point out is that Kana is using a spell on him to find out what happened before he lost the magic. And the information just isn't there. That's, I think, quite an important point that yeah. that we're seeing here. It's not that he's just forgotten about it or that some spell is in there blocking the information. It's that the information is just not there. It's like it's been carved out of his memory um, and kind of can't reach it. So that's quite interesting. So I definitely think we're going to see that in the future. It's, it's quite important. And important that he never mentioned it before either. What we saw at the beginning of the book, the narrator, as we were talking about in the first issue, is saying that the magic is disappearing from Doctor Strange. And it doesn't seem like it's mentioning anything about the fact that he's lost four or five days beforehand or what happened just beforehand. So there is a reason behind it that we'll hopefully find out over the course of the series. That's it. And is it a longer thing that that goes right back to the empirical coming to destroy magic and, and that removal of magic from the universe or is it something whereby maybe this isn't Stephen Strange it's a shorter term thing maybe the experiments that the Grindons did um, have somehow wiped his memory and you just reminded me of what I thought originally when I read the book I was going is Stephen Strange a scroll is that the reason why he has no magical powers has a scroll replaced Stephen Strange and he's actually learning magic for the first time from Kana yeah, interesting. So actually, the battle with Clert um, and Matt Knox and Book Knox uh, previously, that they, um, it could have been part of a plan for them to retain the time stone. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe a larger plan or something. Yeah. That would be quite interesting, that the, the that kind of secret invasion aspect of the scrolls um, is starting all over again. I don't know why, it just suddenly crossed my mind, like if you had a scroll that took the place of, of Doctor Strange and they wiped his memory of his time being Doctor Strange beforehand, maybe that's caused this, but yeah. But I think as well, the other interesting thing here um, that's happening at the same time as we find out that he doesn't have any memories is that he is starting to feel that connection back to magic. That mm-hmm. There is a return of his powers to the Sorcerer Supreme. And this is really as well where it, it jumps off into him being much more self-assured and some of those old traits of arrogance uh, starting to creep back in, in yeah. that he feels he's all-powerful, um, invincible and he can do no wrong you know he won't allow himself to be questioned and and you know when that happens to Stephen Strange that things are somehow going to go bad absolutely absolutely but I think with that onto incantation number two because we have a really nice voice of reason in this uh, in this comic which is Efron the weapon builder mm-hmm. um, a dwarf similar a bit to Brock and Sindri of Norse mythology uh, he is a master weapon builder yeah, but yeah. his speciality in a sense is magical weapons he himself doesn't have any magic mm-hmm. but or he has limited dwarven magic but he has this speciality of creating weapons and engineering forging weapons that can house magical artifacts yeah. or can imbue 
the magical powers that the object needs to. So really, um, really interesting. But he he's from Nidavellir, um, and that's the same place where Meow Meow, or Mjolnir, as we also know it uh-huh. as, um, Thor's hammer and Stormbreaker, Beta Ray Bill's axe were crafted by Itri in, in the comics. Beta Ray Bill's. Sounds like uh, kind of a, a 60s uh, swinging hippie but there's definitely uh, definitely created in the 70s i think beta ray bill yeah uh, but beta ray bill is kind of a another god who is rewarded with something like mjolnir who's the only other person that's been able to raise the hammer or one of the only other characters in the marvel universe that's able to raise the hammer so what we saw was in the comic books they went to uh, Nedevelir and built him his own axe we've seen stormbreaker in the movies we've seen it in uh, in Infinity War. We've seen Atiri uh, in the movies as well. Uh, the character was played by Peter Dinklage yep. uh, in Infinity War as well. But this character, Eofran, is a new creation by Mark Wade. He's another one of the dwarfs that live and build and work in the forge and build all of these magical and mystical weapons for the gods usually. And that's what we see here. That's the reason why Doctor Strange wants to save him and rescue him is because he doesn't want the powers being used for evil, him him building weapons for the bad guys in this book. I think before we go on to um, seeing how Efron plays out in, in, in this issue, I do want to say that I really want to hear the, the sweet, soft acoustic sounds of Beta Ray Bill's uh, album. <laughs> I reckon it would be truly magnificent and it would work well with 60s, 70s Stephen Strange as well. I may have to show you some pictures of what Beta Ray Bill looks like. I don't think he's a singer. Um, or a guitarist. No, 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 certainly not. Certainly not. More rock, maybe? But let's get back on to Yoffren. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, we see him here in this issue standing up to Stephen uh, after he's been rescued by Stephen and Kanna uh, from uh, this alien race that has had him uh, restrained and in jail, in prison for their purposes. And we see him trying to take revenge on Roxner, which is the leader of the Magistane. Um And this is the alien race. But we see that Stephen really has vengeance in his heart. You know, he has a lot of pent-up anger. And his reconnection to that magic has allowed him to really blow his own trumpet a bit. He overextends himself to some extent as well because Mm -hmm. it doesn't really work out. And in the rescue that takes place, he only comes out of um, the battle with... Eofren. This planet that Eofren and Stephen end up on kind of slightly reminded me of the soul realm that Thanos finds himself in uh, with uh, the younger Gamora um, right after he's done his uh, click of the fingers. It felt a little ethereal and uh, yeah, I thought it was a really nice sequence of pages uh, of the two of these men having this conversation were uh, Eofren is challenging Stephen as to why he's doing what he was doing back on the the planet where the Magistane are, uh, really questioning the motives behind Stephen, you know, that it's all about vengeance. He really has lost sight of what he's trying to do because his heart is full of anger and, and, and rage and he simply wants to... Um, effectively show everyone else who is boss, who is yeah. the most powerful. Maybe nothing too dissimilar from some of the bad guys that you would see 
in Marvel Comics, you know, and and some of their motives. And and I really, really like this. Yet he does ultimately end up saying that he can and will help him. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what that planet actually reminded me of? Go on. Tatooine from Star Wars. Okay. It's just where Steven says... By the number of suns that are above us, I can tell that we're not on the same planet where Kano left us. <laughs> yeah. so it kind of felt like they were going, well, there's dual suns here. We're in a vast open expanse like on Tatooine. So I thought it was a little Star Wars reference. Um, but yeah, I really like this challenging from Yafran. Effectively, the beginning of, of that section where they arrive on the planet, Yafran's going, don't hurt me, because he thinks Stephen is a violent character yeah. because of his first introduction, really, to him. Um, what we see is Stephen kind of going to him, but no, I just wanted justice. It wasn't revenge that I wanted. And Yafran's challenge back to him is but that's not a founding principle of magic you should be following the principles of magic that's what you're supposed to be as the sorcerer supreme so a great little challenge from somebody that knows magic well he's worked with many other magical creatures in the universe so a nice little moment between the two of them here yeah one of the great things here which i really liked was that he points out to stephen strange i think for the first time that he should build his own weapons rather than using someone else to do that and and he's you know if if he as someone with a magical skill can forge such weapons as these then you know what can he imbue those weapons with what could these objects these weapons accomplish um with that and so he often transports Stephen to his new workshop and um, through a dwarven gateway um to what is known the fo- as the forge that's right yeah. so you know here we have the magical blacksmith uh, supreme here uh, <laughs> of yeah of Doctor Strange. Um, but but it's really interesting concept here. He wants Stephen to forge his own weapons mm-hmm. and to imbue them with the magic that he has control over uh, rather than him simply doing it on his behalf. Exactly, yeah. Like over the course of the last you know, 50 odd years of comic books, you always hear Stephen call out the names of the things that he's using. For example, the big one really is the Eye of Agamotto. You know, Agamotto was the original Sorcerer Supreme. We've seen him in comic books quite recently. We've seen him uh, feature in the Stone Age Avengers, uh, the first people that carried the mantles of things like Sorcerer Supreme. So he was a character in himself. So quite clearly that means that Agmato created a magical weapon that's still in use today. So why can't Stephen create this kind of stuff? Why can't it be the Eye of Strange as opposed to the Eye of Agmato? Why can't he create weapons? It's a really good concept and feels like something brand new for the character brought to this book by Mark Wade. I can't remember any instance, and I haven't read a huge amount of Doctor Strange comics, as, as our listeners know, but I can't remember any instance before where this was posited to Stephen and his response to it is him going, oh yeah, that's actually makes a lot of sense that I would create magical weapons like all of the previous sorcerers before me. Yeah, I mean, it's generally about learning uh, and practicing spells and incantations or it's about imbuing objects that already exist to hold the magic because you can't wield it yourself. Exactly, yeah. You know, Im- imbuing... Uh, different objects with those um, incantations that you learn, not about creating the weapons. So they're the already kind of uh, artifacts that exist. And that's part of the reason why Kana and Steven are going around the galaxy to find these objects that have had those spells sort of buried deep within the object uh, that can then be used uh, against enemies and against yeah. threats. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think, you know, here we have just... Eofran and Stephen. I think it brings us on to incantation number three because Kana has made a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. She is not transported 
to this world uh, with Eofren and, and Stephen Strange. Uh, you know, Stephen effectively here tries to save everyone whilst they're fighting Roxnor and the Magistane. And the reason why he continues to really try and press this advantage against Roxon is because of this connection back to his magic and specifically back to the Cloak of Levitation. Yeah. You know, effectively, Stephen Strange gets cocky, you know, and because of that, he then feels that he can do everything, save them all, and he forgets about what Kana and Eofren may sort of bring to the table here in this fight, you know, their strategy. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, um, you know, we see here, which I think is really cool, the Cloak of Levitation uh, doing an MCU version of itself here in attacking Roxner uh, and wrapping uh, him up in, in the cloak. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good. I certainly don't remember another instance in the comic books where the Cloak of Levitation has done this, where it wraps itself around and becomes its own weapon. We know it's sentient. We know that there's a connection between Doctor Strange and the Cloak in the comic books, and it helps him fly and it helps him move around. But I'd never seen it as a character like I did in the in the movie versions of Doctor Strange. So it's interesting that they pull this into the book itself. What's also really interesting is... Strange points out that the one thing he's missing is the connection to this. And once he gets that connection back, that's when he becomes cocky. Yeah. They're effectively saying to him, Kana's kind of going, well, you could have just used that cloak to, you know, transport us towards our ship. But you decided to turn back around and start this fight all over again. Yeah. Once again, another poor choice from Stephen. Yeah, he's like a dog with a bone uh, and not a chilled bats the dog with a bone <laughs> you know he really is just incessantly going after Roxner. Mm-hmm. you know it's a poor choice his arrogance has clouded um the the better choices that he could have had here yeah um, and ultimately it is canna that transports the offer and steven off the planet and effectively um sacrificing herself to the the chains of the majestane here mm. uh, you know and following then on from Last week's issue, this is really interesting because, you know, Stephen has betrayed her in uh, in relation to the Time Stone, yeah. saying that he would give it to her, you know, he promised this, and then he takes it away from her, but then he wipes her mind. Uh, and we have that moment, it's slightly uncomfortable, really, where she's going, I trust you, Stephen, yeah. after effectively him lying to her and then wiping her memory. Yeah. And so sacrificing herself um, is a really interesting turn of events because she still is absolutely committed to this team of her and Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, and she still is blissfully unaware at this moment as to what Stephen ha- has done from what we saw in the last issue. Yeah, very important words you use there as at this moment because it's definitely coming around to bite Stephen on the ass when uh, when she does find out. Uh, let's get on to Incantation 4. The reason for Eofren being captured really is that the Magistane needed a weapon. So Kana sacrificing herself to save Stephen and Eofren has actually put her in their crosshairs. They've effectively gone, well, she's obviously quite good at magic. She's obviously quite good at building tools and weapons, so we're going to use her as a replacement for Eofren. She's probably going to be able to build something that we can use as a magical weapon to attack our enemies. So what we find out is their enemy, at the end of the book, we find out that their enemy is Earth. Earth are the ones that have been uh, that have been causing all of the problems. So Stephen's not there to hear this. She doesn't really care about Earth at all. So does it really matter to her that they're going to be attacking Earth? So will she just go along with them and build this weapon so they can go on and attack Earth? Yeah, I mean, 
Earth has done some serious <laughs> issues in mm. the galaxy. You know, we have the Magistane here in this issue. The Skrulls were looking for revenge in in the last issue, mm-hmm. and the Grindons in the second issue were ultimately going, or well, maybe this looks like a, a race that we can kind of overpower and, and enslave. So, yeah, Earth really um, has. It's a bit of a double-edged sword, really, in this uh, in this world, because um, there's a lot of people gunning to attack Earth, yes. um, and Roxana here absolutely wants to have magic and magical weapons to attack Earth, and that is ultimately that as an alien race, they do have magic there um, at the center of of their race as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I had to look it up because. I kind of should have recognized these characters. Uh, the Magistane are a race of aliens that we have seen in the TV show universe before. Not ones that we cover, but over on the TV show The Runaways, the character of Carolina um, is a character that shines bright. Her skin shines with di- like diamonds, which is very similar to the description that we hear of uh, Roxnor and the Magistane in this book. Um, she is a member of the Magistane race. So in an issue of Runaways, actually a couple of years ago, the Magistane appeared. There was a, um, a wedding between the two of them where their home planet was destroyed. So I wonder, is this what Roxnor is referring to? Now, we haven't read issue five, so we don't know. But I wonder if this is what Roxnor is referring to. Is this the thing that caused the problem between Earth and the Magistane? The destruction of their home planet it seems like quite a big reason to go and destroy Earth, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. And I mean, it, their home planet was blown up by uh, the Skrulls after this altercation at carolina's wedding as well so yeah it could very well be but again it's another threat against earth Mm -hmm. Uh, coming at it from this same dimension the same realm that stephen strange lives in but this time it is an attack with magic from the same realm yeah you know we always talk about these cross-dimensional threats such as the dark dimension coming to try and consume the the realm and the dimension that earth is in mm-hmm. but here we it's a it's another form of existential threat coming from outside of uh, earth yeah. uh, from another part of the galaxy so it'll be interesting to see where this go again it's another thread in this comic series there's a few threads opening up here which Absolutely. are still very much open and how this is going to play out and um, maybe the magistrate or just simply a story device here for canna to really find out maybe what steven has done to her for Stephen, obviously to maybe learn uh, the forging of magical weapons himself Mm -hmm. but maybe you know at the moment we've had kind of three issues here where there has been some threat about to be uh, implemented towards earth yeah and where Stephen has done um some pretty big things you know effectively enveloping uh, a planet he's killed the leader and the remaining scroll magician uh, in in clert and, and matt Knox. still not sure whether he killed clert though are we i'm gonna say that for now he certainly okay. it looked like it i think but... they no- i think they knocked him out and went running when the scrolls started to arrive but he certainly got clert to kill matt Knox in that in that issue definitely so that's that's definitely where the death was i just wasn't sure whether dr strange or kana had killed any character there. I think they'd led a character to be killed and then left when they were about to be attacked by the rest of the scrolls. So I think the super scroll is still alive. We may see him in another book in future. What I did like in this book is just if this is a reference back to the runaways, bringing the runaways characters into this book is quite an interesting choice. 
Yeah, completely. So on to incantation number five then. Yeah, our um, final incantation. Yeah. The artwork in this comic book, I think, is really good. Uh, I think it's on pages 18 through to 21, uh, where Eofran and Stephen are on this desolate planet having this argument mm. uh, before Ofren shows Stephen the gateway to his forge, uh, you know, inviting him to create his own weapons. Yeah. And I just think it's really nicely. The panels are just so good, focusing in on each of the men having this argument and discussion, really, whilst this kind of backdrop of desolation um, with the, the two sons in the background and having come from, you know, Kanna sacrificing herself to save these two men from the Magistane. Uh, really, really nice set of panels, I, I, I thought. And, yeah. and certainly when he captures the essence of his magic power again with his powers kind of in full force again, you see on, on page 14, Stephen levitating up over the Magistane, over Roxnor, with both Kanna and Ofren there being held up with his magical incantation. It's I think it's a full uh, page spread. It's just really pardon the pun magical and the cloak of levitation carry him up there as well yeah, yeah really cool to see him back to his his full stature but still an arrogant Stephen strange as always uh, yeah the other part of incantation number five is the story structure in this book it's quite different to what we've seen in the previous issues so far um it kind of made it feel like a really short book because you started with kind of the middle of the story and then worked towards it and then worked two different character arcs after they left the planet so it felt like you were playing with time a little bit quite interesting since strange has the tide stone uh, at the moment on him so a nice way to kind of infer that in the book that they're kind of playing with time a little bit just yeah. thought it was a nice change for the story it didn't go from page one to page 22 uh, straight through the story it did a nice little mix around uh, of the book but uh, but yeah nice, a nice change to the book this time and yes as you say beautiful artwork again by his says i'm really liking what he's done on there um i need to get some more recommendations of other stuff that he's done because i really want to see some of the other artwork that he's done outside of the world of dr strange yeah, absolutely. I think with that, onto our defense of this issue of Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme of Space, part four. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a, it's a long title. It is long a title. long title. John, as always, we'll hand it over to you. Do you defend this issue of Doctor Strange? I do defend this issue of Doctor Strange. I give it four dwarven blacksmiths out of five. Again, I think the artwork is absolutely top notch. I'm loving the different threads that Mark Wade is providing within these different issues, and in particular this one with the Magistane, seeing Doctor Strange reconnect to his powers, but at the same time seeing his absolutely fundamental flaw as a human being come back, mm -hmm. where he just feels he can do it. And, you know, it, it ties in nicely to the last issue where he has, in effect, betrayed Kanna. Um, you know, he has hidden uh, and manipulated her. And he's done that to so many people. Uh, and it always comes back on him. And here we see Kanna still unknowing about this sacrifice herself. So I, that's a nice little uh, reflection back on, on issue three. I love uh, often and what... Um, tantalizing future bits we might get from him teaching Doctor Strange how to create weapons and magical weapons at that. I think it's a really good idea being yeah. introduced here. And then to see how the Magistane treat Kanna 
what they do to them and how Stephen gets back. It's it's really opening up a nice story. And again, the, the, these two characters of Kanna and, and Stephen Strange just have a really good rapport with one another. Mm-hmm. And even though it was antagonistic, I love the rapport between Offren and Stephen Strange as well. The idea that, you know, this dwarf would stand up to him and really question what it is that he's doing. And hopefully he gives that metaphorical slap across the face to Stephen Mm -hmm. so that he comes to his senses and so that he can maybe make amends with Kanna. So there's a lot of intrigue here for me uh, in this issue and i i really enjoyed the read yeah yeah definitely really enjoyed it i'm looking forward to a magical weapon being called the arrogance of strange in future <laughs> that'd be a pretty good one uh, yeah i really enjoyed it I, again the structure of the story seemed to make it a very short story for me i read through it in about five or ten minutes and then realized hang on that's that's over <laughs> but then when i went back and read it again for the notes for this podcast i actually really enjoyed it more the second time i think i was probably rushing to the end to find out how the story resolved yeah. i suppose it's probably probably that and it, it kind of allowed you to rush through it very quickly but but staying on the pages and, and looking at some of the artwork is fabulous and really enjoyed the storyline again. Loving this coverage of this book and really looking forward to getting back to it next month. Uh, not many notes in this particular issue. Just to mention again, uh, if you want to read any more about the Magistane, uh, read Runaways because there is a character in there, Carolina, who is a member of the Magistane. So you'll see a bit more about who they are and, and some of their motivations. She doesn't have a major connection to them as a race. So you don't see their, them very much, but volume three issue two is the one that they last appeared in, uh, in the runaway storyline. So check that out as well. And also we mentioned Agamato as being a Sorcerer Supreme when he was a Sorcerer Supreme. If you want to read any more about that character and what he has, because most, most of the time you really just talk about the, Eye of Agamato in the comic books, but if you want to read about Agamato himself, uh, have a check out on Marvel Legacy number one. Uh, it was released last year, and there's a good little arc in there with uh, with Agamato, just seeing what he's like as the Sorcerer Supreme. He's, he's appeared a few more times uh, since then, but just check him out in that book just to see if you're interested in his style of being Sorcerer Supreme. Yes, that is one billion BC in the making. Mm-hmm. Yes, back to sort of Neanderthal Stone Age. Um, superheroes. Yes, yes. First Iron Fist in there as well. And, and Jason Aaron as well. Yeah. Um, so, pretty good. Uh, yeah, worth a check out. Yeah. That's it for our discussion on Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy number four. Remember, if you want to send in any thoughts about any of our comic book coverage, you can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or you can come over and join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast. Yes. And of course, we will have a few future comics coming up as well uh, mm-hmm. on Strange Tales. Uh, first off, we have Nick Fury and Maria Hill returning in the Captain Marvel Prelude comic uh, in November. That's November 14th uh, mm-hmm. this year. Another massive element that we will be introducing here are the return of the original Defenders. Yes, that is Doctor Strange. No more immortal hulk and silver surfer coming in december i think it's december the 18th with five one shots with the subtitle the best defense mm-hmm. um yeah so i think there's four writers and, and artists take having their own take on each of the original defenders followed by a, a joint comic called the best defense where they all come to defend the world 
Yes, yes. Looking forward to, to reading that as well. And definitely looking forward to actually talking some Nick Fury on yes. our Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast as well. Uh, that's going to obviously be a Marvel Cinematic Universe connection. That's not a Nick Fury comic book connection. It's a, definitely an MCU connection. So if you haven't seen Infinity War by then, or if you don't want to be spoiled for what's coming up in Captain Marvel, these preview comics tend to have a little bit of good background for the future movies that are coming up that they're that they're based on. Hence the prelude title, obviously. Uh, but they don't normally spoil anything that's happening in the movie itself. So don't be too worried about it. But that's coming on November 14th. Looking forward to that one. And obviously, we're going to be back on the 7th of September on our main feed with our review of Iron Fist Season 2, Episode 1, Fury of the Iron Fist. So make sure you're subscribed to Defenders TV Podcast in order to get all of our coverage of Iron Fist Season yes, 2. Yes, absolutely. And of course, from that moment, Strange Tales... We'll have a less frequent release on Defenders TV podcast as we get into Iron Fist Season 2. Mm-hmm. Um, we will, however, be coming back with Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy <gasps> Part 5, uh, which will be released on the 19th of September. So that's when we'll be back with Mark Wade's and Jesus Sayers's, uh treatment of Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to getting back to Strange Tales and Defenders TV podcast. John... I thought it was just your conference, but I think your arrogance is going to get us killed if we stay on board this podcast any longer. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Talk to you again next time. As always, fellow defenders, it is a pleasure speaking with you, and we will speak with you again soon. Welcome back to Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast, where we're talking comics. We're talking Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, Part 5 by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayas. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We're back again talking comics right in the middle of our Iron Fist run because the latest issue of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, issue number five, just came out. Uh, This one's by Mark Wade and Jesus Sayas once again. And I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders, Sorcerers Supreme. Uh, Welcome back to Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. I am one of your other hosts, John. Mm -hmm. And we're back with a bumper episode. Dare we say it? Yes. Not only do we have the latest issue of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, but we are going to do our first double header, mm-hmm. and we will be reviewing Web of Venom, Venom, by Donny Cates, Juanan Ramirez, and Philippe Sobrario. Mm-hmm. Yes, and why are we doing that? Because Nick Fury's in there, and if we're going to have a double header for Strange Tales on Defender TV Podcast, it's going to have to be Doctor Strange on one side, and Nick Fury on the other. Nick Fury is the big guest star in this issue of Web of Venom, Venom. Venom. Or Venom, yeah. So we're going to the forests of Vietnam Mm -hmm. and into the cold reaches of space uh, for this episode of Strange Tales. So we hope you enjoy the spoiler-filled review and our journey into space and, of course, into the jungle. But these will be two completely separate reviews, so if you only have 
Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy number five. You can listen to that review and then we'll be pausing it for a mo and then you can go and read Web of Venom and come back to us for the other issue discussion. We won't be cross-pollinating the two after this point, so don't worry about it. But speaking of cross-pollination, if you're interested in the Marvel Netflix Defenders, then please head on over to catch our season two review and discussion of Iron Fist over on Defenders TV Podcast. We hope you've been enjoying Iron Fist on Marvel Netflix. And of course, whilst you're at it, fellow Defenders and the Supremes, please um, head on over and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other magical or mystical podcast catcher of your choice. You can just head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and subscribe through any of the subscribe links there or just go to your favorite podcast catcher. On with the issue details. Derek, what have we got? Yep, this issue, as always, written by Mark Wade, artwork on the book by Jesus Seas, and the cover art on this one. I don't know whether you've seen the cover on this one, John, since we normally get it digitally, uh, but this one was done by Javier Garon and Dean White. A very dynamic moment of Doctor Strange being attacked on the front cover of the book. Uh, that yes. doesn't necessarily pertain to something inside the book, unfortunately. No, time. but it's high drama yeah. uh, and it's fantastic artwork. Yeah, really vibrant. Mm -hmm. There is the enchantments of Doctor Strange there. I think I see a an angled seal of Vishanti, which is important is. in this issue of Doctor Strange. It is, but let's get into the actual issue itself. John, do you want to tell us the synopsis that Mark Wade gave us on the front of this issue? Sure. Stephen Strange and his new friend Kana, an archaeologist, continued their cosmic jaunt seeking magical artifacts while rebuilding Doctor Strange's skills, confidence, and unfortunately his ego. Recently, during a rescue mission to save Eofran, a skilled craftsman of magical artifacts, Strange's arrogance caused him to stay and fight rather than escape. Kana was able to transport them out of danger but only Strange and Eofran made it out. Now, stranded on an unknown planet, Strange must humble himself and learn from Eofran if they should ever hope to rescue Kana, who has been imprisoned by Roxnor and made to take Eofran's place in the construction of a massive weapon. Yeah, I'm having a little struggle with uh, Eofran. Keep saying Efren. Is that just because of Zac Efron, is it? Probably. <laughs> but like Zac Efron, someone in this issue also gets their abs out. Oh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, the MCU abs have landed in the comics universe. Yeah, I would say they probably came from comic books first, didn't they? That's uh, kind of everybody in comic books had... Uh, were muscle-bound when they probably didn't need to be. But Doctor Strange does get a proper workout in this issue. He's doing lots of manual labour. Uh, as always, fellow defenders, if you haven't listened to us before, the way we go through the podcast and the way we go through our discussion points is we pick out five incantations, five moments from this issue, or things we want to talk about about this issue, which tell us the things we enjoy about this book. So now that John's given us the synopsis of what's happened so far in the story of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy... Let's go on to incantation number one. Forger of mystic weapons. Doctor Strange, no longer just the Sorcerer Supreme who throws out an incantation. He is now making weapons. And they are the supreme and mystic weapons that he would have used in the past. But these are all of strange weapons. Oh yeah, this was really good. And it was one of the things 
so so excited to to find out more about um after that sort of tantalizing hint that Eofran was going to uh choose her Doctor Strange in the art of weapon building, but not just any old weapon, magical weapons imbued with mystical powers and incantations. This was really, really nice. I really enjoyed it. I loved how you have the reference back to Stephen Strange learning to become the Sorcerer Supreme in the first place from the Ancient One, just the idea of his teaching to become a med student as well and ultimately the world-renowned neurosurgeon this was kind of back to basics uh, for Stephen Strange but it was physical labor it was hard work you can just imagine that Dr. Strange tried to avoid that or should I say a young Stephen tried to avoid that kind of stuff as as a kid which he kind of references here so Eofran is giving him a lot of skills and Stephen is becoming very skilled in the art of of building these uh, magical weapons. Mm -hmm. I really like the touch there that you see Eofran in the background kind of asleep a lot of the time throughout these panels where you see uh, Stephen working so hard to build and forge these new mystical weapons. You know, you get that kind of flashback and thought back to Stephen working really hard in college and working really hard to learn everything about the Sorcerer Supreme. And now he's learned this new task or this new skill that he's never even thought about before. He's learning to use this to create these weapons, which will now become his new form of magic. I love this idea. I think it's really cool that, you know, Stephen will work through everything if there's something new to learn at the end of this rainbow that he's been taken down, you know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's really cool. He, you know, we, we see here that he's melding together the the incantations that he's learned from Earth with you know, elements from outer space into these weapons and tools. Mm-hmm. He, he's using incantations that he he knows, but new incantations that he's discovered whilst he's been planet hopping with Kana previously. Yeah. So there's some new stuff coming here. And I think ultimately, I think this brings us on to incantation number two. Mm-hmm. We get the sword, or should I say the scalpel of strange Mm -hmm. um what a great moment that is in this comic where you know we've heard how he is using these new skills he's being uh taught by eofran but that it all comes back to you know those fateful moments of him being a a top-notch neurosurgeon that that skill is lost with the accident and the damage to his hands and here um you know he brings it back to what he knows which is magic mixed with medicine mm-hmm. uh, with the scalpel of strange it looked pretty pretty cool it seems like it's able to cut through space uh, into different parts of space mm-hmm. maybe ultimately he can also cut through to different realms as well it's like opening up a wound or a doorway uh, to these different uh, realms through slicing his scalpel of strange across space yes uh, really very cool um I, ju- I just thought this was really unexpected I-, I thought it was going to be sort of newer versions of old objects that had been imbued with power you know you we've got his axes there's the staff of saltine all these different things but here he creates his own novel new 
weapon, magical weapon, which was just really cool. Loved well, exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And love that that's the point of what Eofran's trying to teach him is why use the staff of Saltine when you can have the staff of Strange, when you can have the mystical objects of Strange that he created with his knowledge and imbued with his powers. It's a really cool idea. It's like creating a lasting legacy now for Stephen Strange to pass on to generations of future Sorcerer Supreme that things that he's created will now live on in the magical world. Cool idea. And much better than the arrogance of Strange that we thought he was going to pass on and and continue. Or at least name a weapon after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, much better than that. But these these new weapons that he's created um, come in very, very handy for him. And I think with that, on to incantation number three. The Magistane who have Kana uh, held captive release their weapon on Earth. Yeah. This vengeance, this, this revenge that they're looking to do, ultimately they head to Earth to release this weapon uh, against it in order to wipe out and destroy planet Earth. It's a great moment where you have an astral projection or broadcast as Kana, where she's getting in contact with Stephen Strange. He's been so worked up in learning all these new skills from Eofren that he almost misses this broadcast. He thinks that it's going to be a conversation with Kana, but luckily she's gotten to know him relatively well, and she says, this isn't a dialogue, this is a broadcast she goes that Roxnor is heading to Earth and that he has genocide on his mind. Mm -hmm. uh, that this is not just simply some kind of takeover of planet Earth. This is to wipe it out. This is genocide. This is annihilation. Um, yes, yeah. Absolutely. So really cool. I love, again, these two characters are really nice together. And I like the fact that they were able to bring it into this issue through Kana using her own sort of skills. Um, I think she uses some kind of device, actually, to astral project or at least to hologram project um, mm -hmm. to Stephen Strange. We're not entirely sure uh, whether it's an astral projection or whether it's simply holographic, but I think it's probably holographic given that she's got some kind of device that she's speaking into and using. Um, but this alerts Stephen then to effectively come to the rescue, uh, and to start putting his weapons into practice yes. against the Magistane. Yes, help me, Stephen Strange, you're my only hope, I think. <laughs> yeah, it could have been could. coming out from Canada there. Uh, but <laughs> I, do, I do really like this. We talked about this last issue, that the Magistane haven't exactly explained why they hate Earth so much. We mentioned that it does have something to do with the Runaways comic books where the Magistane were in before. Potentially, Mark Wade is leaving it pretty open here. I think this might be the last issue we're going to see the Magistane in because of what happens to towards the end. It might be the last time we see them for a while anyway. Um, but it's a really interesting idea that what we hear from Roxnor as Stephen arrives is that he's threaten threatening to kill Kana, even though she did build the bomb that's going to destroy Earth. He just goes, right, now that that job's done, once that bomb explodes, you're out the airlock in a second. So even though she cooperated with everything that he wanted for from her, he's not going to keep her on board as now the weapons maker for the Magistane or anything like that, or put her back in prison or anything like that. He's just going to throw her out the airlock. Um, so luckily, Stephen arrives as soon as he does. It's not like, you know, the, the slow boat from, uh, from off the other end of the galaxy to get him back to Earth. He can just now use his scalpel of strange to cut a little hole in space and traveled straight through yeah honest. but i mean he has also some new gauntlets that he uses that he can simply swat away 
all the um, the soldier Magistane. Mm-hmm. He's also then able to implant ideas into Kanna's mind to mm-hmm. and instructions as to what he wants her to do. Interesting, because I was questioning that. It seemed like when he arrives back, he's so much more in control of the situation. He's really easily taking back the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme. And the confidence is properly renewed. That whole idea of Stephen Strange is here now, he's got new powers, and he's fully confident in using them. It seemed like he was transferring telepathically messages to Kana, but I don't know whether he was controlling her. It just seems like she's willingly going along with his um, instructions. So I was wondering, is it just because of how confident Stephen is, or is she doing things that she wouldn't necessarily do at new suggestions from Stephen? I think she's following the instructions that he's implanting because she's still challenging him. Mm-hmm. She's still got, um, you know, her own mind and her own thoughts, yeah. but she knows exactly what to do. Um, and th- th- that was really cool. You know, they-, they go out onto a spacecraft. The weapon has been launched. It's 15 seconds and Stephen Strange is on the back of this little kind of shuttle spaceship mm-hmm. uh, with his scalpel of strange uh, and, you know, u- uses it to draw or to cut the symbol of Vishanti into space over Earth to stop the the missile that has been released by Roxnor mm-hmm. um, hitting Earth. So, so cool. Really, really enjoyed that. And, of course, when they get back to the spaceship after that just seeing that symbol over earth is so cool isn't it that's been used as the window for dr strange's um sanctum santorum before yes it's used as the main symbol i think we even used it on our artwork we used that symbol yeah or part of it in this episode um but it's great to see that drawn in space because you're wondering you know dr strange is saying i've given you a very specific course you must follow this course and she's dodging bullets Kana's dodging um Lasers dodging bullets from the uh, Magistane, trying to keep them alive. But Stephen is adamant she must follow the course, must follow exactly what he's doing. And effectively, he's drawing a gigantic protective incantation in space to protect the Earth here. You know, yeah. it's quite interesting that we, you don't you don't hear that until it's revealed in that wonderful panel. Um, seeing that, I love I love that little moment, and it's, it just works so well in comic books. I love that you know they can just have these conversations between two characters and you don't realise, of course, because you're not seeing the motion, you don't realise exactly what's going on until they do the big reveal. Really nice choice here. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and he then sends Roxner back to his planet using his scalpel again mm-hmm. to cut uh, the space fabric so that it, he effectively chucks him back uh, to his own planet and because, you know, it is death before dishonour for Roxner and the Magistane, and he has been given reprieve, so he hasn't been able to die with honour. And we see this as a better punishment, I think, than Stephen has dealt out in the last few issues, because we saw Stephen punishing a planet who said they would attack Earth, not by stopping them flying, by closing them off from all life outside of their planet forever. You know, very much big, broad brushstrokes in the past. In this case... He throws Roxnor back to his planet because he's now dishonored and then turns around to the rest of the Magistane and says, anybody else challenge me now, basically. So it is Roxnor that's punished, not the entire race of the Magistane. It's him that led the, led the attack. He gives up expecting death and 
Stephen punishes him by sending him back to his own planet without the rest of his race. So nice. nice yeah, touch. really good. R- really nice touch. And mm. um, I, I love the moment actually as well where Kana's like, what are you asking me to do? You know, they're being fired on. She's, she's having to dodge bullets, you know, stop the, the ship that they're in mm-hmm. from being blown up. And she goes, I've not even been to this planet, you know, and you're asking me to risk my life for it. So that, that mm-hmm. was really nice. I do like these two together. But his odyssey, it would seem, is at an end here. I do uh, love that. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice little line from Mark Way just to say, set us up for the thing you're not expecting, really, which is incantation number four. His odyssey is over. Yes, this Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxies, Odyssey is over. And we finally, after five issues, we finally find out who our narrator is and why he knows so much about this story if it's not Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy. The reason why is because he's narrating the story to our favourite ghost dog that we've ever had in any comic book. Um, Little Bats is hearing the story from his owner, Dr. Stephen Strange. Um. That was a nice reveal. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was so so good. I was like, "What?" Uh-huh. It was just really really good. So, incantation number four is our Doctor Strange from space returns to Bleecker Street, only mm. to see a second Doctor Strange. This is getting very strange, <laughs> very Doctor Strange. But dare I say it, for fans of Doctor Strange, you love one Doctor Strange. Sure, why not put two in there? Exactly. This is really, really nice. He looks like the Doctor Strange from Donny Cates' run. You know, he has yeah. the the blue outfit, predominantly blue outfit. He's got the grey hair. As I say, you know, we've seen the muscles of Strange earlier in this issue. Uh-huh. He looks a much more dapper, kind of sharp suit type of Doctor Strange. This Doctor Strange at Bleecker Street, talking with bats, is... Scruffy, you know, a lot scruffier. Uh, he's he's, he's scruffier. Yeah, he's scruffier. He looks scruffy. (laughs) Scruffy. But having just seen the Captain Marvel trailer, uh, recently, and obviously our favorite shapeshifters in the world, uh, are the, um, you're kind of like going, is this a scroll thing? Well, can I just point out that back in issue three, or our review of issue three, I did point out that I was wondering whether possibility is in here that a scroll took the place of Doctor Strange, mind wiped, wondered why it didn't have any magic, and has now gone out to learn magic and has become Stephen Scroll Sorcerer Supreme. Yes. You know, I was wondering whether that's what had happened. Do you know what I love even more? One of our friends over from the Into the Night podcast had read the first issue of Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy number one back before we did, back before we started doing our reviews of these issues. And the only message he sent to me was, have you read Mark Wade's run? He's thrown everything out that Donny Cates had done and started all over again. But it is really a fun idea that he's done. And now, five issues in, with this reveal back in Bleecker Street, that actually, it's a very different Doctor Strange. What a great way that Mark Wade set up the book. Yeah, no, absolutely. He and set it up to to land at this point here where we now have the two Doctors in Bleecker Street. Yeah, great. because the, the Donny Cates version of the Doctor is the sat in the armchair speaking with bats. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really, really good. And yeah, we'd been wondering who this guy that had led himself into Bleecker Street was sat in the shadows, uh, who he was, what he was doing, and why bats felt so comfortable talking to him and that's because 
here we have Doctor Strange Mark II. You know, likely that Derek is right in that we have the scroll Doctor Strange after Stephen and Kana had visited the scroll planet. Um, so this is kind of really, really interesting. And of course... The issue goes no further than that. Of it's course. like, wait till issue number six, ladies and gentlemen. Of so course. really, really good. You know, there are so many possibilities here. I think, you know, as we are uh, also going to be looking at Nick Fury, maybe an LMD. Maybe, maybe, maybe an astral projection that disappeared into space. Uh, something like that was left behind by Stephen Strange. Potentially a scroll, but that's probably, as we say, only because of Captain Marvel this week and a lot of talk about scrolls quite recently that that's definitely in our head. Um, but there's loads of other options, so many possibilities, as always, uh, within the Doctor Strange universe. It could be absolutely anything. It could be something that was trapped in the past. It could be a time-traveling Doctor Strange. Yeah. So it could be exactly the same character. What I do love is their little reference to Doctor Who, of course. You did notice that, of course, yep. the next issue was the two Doctors, which would be traditionally, <laughs> yeah. as two versions of the Doctor Who character meet, traditionally it's called the two Doctors, the three Doctors, the five Doctors, whatever. So in this case, they're now going to do the two Doctor Stranges. So what a fantastic, fantastic uh, issue. It, it really was good. Two Doctor Stranges for me and Rippling Abs uh, entering into the comic book world as well for Doctor Strange. Of course. <laughs> well, let's just get on to our final incantation because our final incantation usually is favourite artwork, our dialogue within the comic book. Um, the one thing, obviously, that stood out to me was the symbol of the Vashanti above yeah. Earth. Beautiful shot again, but loads of great stuff here. You can really tell how Jesus says is drawing Doctor Strange in this book. Uh, you can tell the confidence is welling back up inside him, and it's not the arrogance that we saw in previous issues you could tell that as well when that was building that kind of fun side of you know the the gallant dr strange rushing into all situations in this it's just i'm learning new things and i'm getting bloody good at it you can really tell from how he's drawing those panels really great stuff from as he says yeah definitely yeah the the symbol of the vishanti over earth protecting it just so nicely done. I loved all the the artwork around Eofran and the Forge and mm -hmm. Doctor Strange learning. And that wasn't just because he had his biceps and and his and his abs out, but I just loved the fact that you know they reference his damaged hands. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the fact that you know it is this this new beginning for Doctor Strange where he's learning this skill to imbue the magic uh, into objects and, and weapons and that ultimately we get this scalpel of strange which he then uses to protect uh canna so i i thought those panels in the forge with the offering were really really well done mm -hmm. uh with really nice touch points back to um him as a doctor a surgeon the accident uh, and him as a student uh, learning again a new skill a new magical skill um you know from eofran in this case uh, rather than the ancient one so uh, really nice and two very distinctive looking doctor strangers at the end of yeah. the book as well uh, any particular dialogue that jumps out to you i think it was a, real, a really well written issue overall but any particular dialogue that jumps out to you for this issue yeah again just the the wittiness of bats i mean you have to love bats so of course. that dialogue was just superb and i think the the dialogue between canna and and dr strange is is really nicely done for mm -hmm. sure yeah excellent 
I was going to save this for a note, but it is actually dialogue. John, a great one in here from Mark Wade. A nice pull from the history of Doctor Strange. Curse me for a novice makes this reappearance back in this book. You will have heard that many, many times or seen that many, many times back in the old Doctor Strange books. It's a pretty popular phrase from Stephen Strange. It's one that's used for names of forums and blogs and stuff for years. Curse me for a novice. It's something that's just been used many, many times. It's about as kind of up there with the by the hoary hosts of Helgoth. It's kind of that level of yeah, phrase absolutely. from Doctor Strange. Yeah. Just the minute I saw it in the book, I was kind of going, I recognise that. That has to be his old catchphrase, right? <laughs> and we have Stephen Strange yes. as a novice in the book, so perfect time. Yes, a catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really good. Uh, I mean, in terms of further reading suggestions, you know, this is kind of wrapping up the arc as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, we do see the... Um, second doctor here uh kind of the donny cates version i suppose we're calling him mm-hmm. sat in the armchair at bleaker street so you know if you haven't yet read donny cates's damnation issues of doctor strange you know this might be a, a good time to to jump on in and catch up on that and of course there are the companion damnation podcasts as well from ourselves as well as the other podcasters involved you can head on over to defenderstvpodcast.com and and look for the damnation episodes of Doctor Strange. I'd also highly recommend reading uh, Loki, Sorcerer Supreme as well, uh, a book where yeah. Loki becomes the Sorcerer Supreme, quite obviously, but that does give you a good background on Doctor Strange and on our wonderful bats as well. So uh, so definitely check that out if you want some further reading of Doctor Strange and that version of Doctor Strange, because we might be seeing a lot more of them when we get back next month with our next issue of uh, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy. But one, only one thing left for this episode, John, to defend this issue of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy, part five. And breathe. <laughs> I, know. I really do defend this issue of Doctor Strange. I give this a 4.5 scalpels of Strange out of five. Nice. Uh, this was really, really nice. Um, again, the artwork, fantastic. But you're left with two Doctor Strangers, two for the price of one issue. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what the possibilities are in the next issue of Mark Wade and Jesus Sayas's run on Doctor Strange. It is really interesting. We get Kana as well um, coming back into Stephen's life. I really hope she sticks around, actually. I know she didn't really want to risk her life saving this planet that she'd never been on, but hopefully she visits for a while and, and, and hangs around with Stephen Strange. We have Bats as well, who who also you know reveals this uh, jaw-dropping moment for for doctor strange fans and of course then we have him learning his new skills mm-hmm. and it's great to get a new magical object that steven can use as well as seeing him learn that new skill and just how it relates back to uh, this character's history uh, from all the other previous uh, Doctor Strange issues and, you know, his history, his origin, all that. Really, really nicely done. Absolutely fantastic seal of Vishanti over the earth. Absolutely defend this issue of Doctor Strange. Excellent. I've been really enjoying it as well. So, so looking forward to talking about more Doctor Strange next month when we come back with Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy Part 6. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Two Doctor Strangers. Yes. 
Well, that's all of our Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme of the Galaxy coverage for the release of Volume 1 of Doctor Strange by Mark Wade and Jesus Says. Join us for other podcasts covering the other issues that have come out from Mark Wade. We've got issue 6 to 8 already out. Uh, as of today, the 5th of December, issue 9 is out in stores and we'll have our review of that pretty soon on our feed at Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast or the main feed at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back soon. Bye.